liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Today's episode is with James Lindsay of New Discourses Podcast. He was on Joe Rogan Experience about a year ago. That's where I first heard of him. I've been following him on Twitter ever since, learning all sorts of clever ways of saying things you're not allowed to. That's kind of his specialty. Um, he is a academic of the highest esteem, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, his research has been foundational and revolutionary for someone like me in terms of understanding how the education system has been essentially taken over from within. And uh, I'm just absolutely thrilled to got it. I got to have him on for a second time. If you're not familiar with him, go check out his episode on Joe Rogan. It is one of the best ever, and uh, I think this is one of the best episodes I've ever done. To top that, we also have on the Redhead Libertarian, Josie. She is uh, the outside media rep for Tim Pool for TimCast IRL. She does, uh, uh, or she's going to be doing a ton of uh, media appearances for them over the next year, and uh, she's a great follow on Twitter as well, so make sure you go follow her. All of the information for both of them will be in the description to this episode, so make sure you, you show them some love, thank them for coming on, and hopefully we can do this uh, a couple times a year, because last time we did it was a year ago, and I'd like to do it like uh, three times a year. I think that'd be better. If you want to support my work, if you want to support this incredible guest list that I've been putting together, my goodness, is it getting good or what, folks? Is it getting good or what? On January 3rd, I was on Kim Iverson's new show, which is a Rumble exclusive. Make sure you go check that out. Today, obviously, it is James, Lindsay, and Josie. Tomorrow, it'll be Jordan Schachtel, a fantastic reporter. Uh, January 8th, it'll be Gladstein. He's uh, probably the best bitcoin reporter i have stumbled upon that is alex gladstein if you're not familiar you will not want to miss that one his work is incredible uh january 13th i will have malcolm flex one of my favorites uh january 17th i will be on timcast with top lobster that is uh my tower gang squad is uh, is migrating to dc and then to the undisclosed locations so that we can't be doxed <laughs> over in the the tim pool mansion it's going to be a blast. And guess who's back? January 26th, Dave Smith. Super excited about that, as always. I forgot, uh, in between then and there, it'll be Viva Fry. Goodness gracious, is it getting good? At some point, it's going to be Maj Ture and Julie Kelly. They're TBD. We're still working on setting the uh, exact date and time. And then last but very, very not least, Jesse Kelly. Folks, things are happening. I don't know how I'm pulling it off, but things are happening. And I could not have done it without you. And I could not be doing it without your continued support. Please go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Sign up to become a supporting member. You can come in on stream with me next week where we're going to do an AMA and we just get to chat. You get to actually be on the stream, though. It's really fun. We do it for an hour. Just kick it. Uh, you don't have to be contributing a ton of money, but just a little bit to help with marketing and growth of the show. It really does help. 
and that is libertylockdown.locals.com. Again, that information will be in the description. Support the work that you want to see in the world. It's a great idea. Let's get into the show. Ah! So excited. This is round two. James and Josie, ladies and gentlemen. Um, th this is probably my favorite panel that I get to do periodically. Uh, two people that inspire me, fire me up, and reinforce me. They're my troops. Uh, we got the, the academic arsenal that comes from James Lindsay. And then we got the constitutional scholar that comes from Josie. And uh, I, I'm just so, so grateful that we get to do this. Um, really keeps my spirits up and makes me feel as if I'm not fighting this alone. So I hope you guys feel similarly. Uh, make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe right now and help with the algos. Make sure you're in the live chat. I might pull up some super chats later. So if you want to drop some, feel free. Uh, before we get started, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about our sponsor. Movies Plus wants to take Hollywood back to focusing on good storytelling instead of pushing agendas. And they'll produce content that won't turn your kids gay. If you're sick of woke being jammed down your throats, they are the place to be. They're freedom of speech maximalists, and their first original series is called Q Sent Me. It's about the Q Shaman and the real story of January 6th that premiered on November 11th, and they have more or originals that are coming out in the next couple of months that everyone in my audience is going to love. I have already checked it out. It's a great platform, great content, and it's all commercial free for just $5.99 a month. And if you use the promo code LIBERTY, you get $5 off an annual subscription. It's mymoviesplus.com or search for Movies Plus in any app store or smart TV to watch on your favorite streaming device. It's a great service and it's from people that share our values. So if you want to see more content in the world where you get to actually tell the truth and the FBI doesn't ban you, well, this is where you got to go. MyMoviesPlus.com, promo code LIBERTY. Without further ado, New Discourses podcast host. I don't know if that's a title that he accepts, but... Um, I accept. I accept. All right, cool. I, I've, uh, I've learned a hell of a lot from you via that platform, so thank you so much for doing it, and... Josie, the redheaded libertarian. Hi, thank you for having me on. Beautiful inside and out. Thank you guys for joining me. Um, all right, so let's start off with a little Trump action because he made a big announcement today, a big to some. I don't know what you guys will will think about it, but uh, I'm. Is it more sure. NFTs? I hope it's more NFTs. <laughs> that's the that's the big announcement for sure. I'm going to make my NFTs. You just wait. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy them, James. They're a terrible investment, but just to support you, I'd help you out. I'll just make them 99 cents. You can't go wrong. <laughs> so Trump has apparently declared war on the cartels with the power of the presidency, which he does not have and likely will never attain again. Oh, stop being staticky, Jesse. <laughs> it's okay. Our country is being poisoned from within by the drugs and by all of the other crime that's taking place. The drug cartels are waging war in America, and it's now time for America to wage war on the cartels. We will show no mercy on the cartels. Every day, drug traffickers are using the waters of our region to ship their lethal poisons to America, killing so many of our people and ruining families. In addition to restoring strong border security, I will deploy all necessary military assets, including the U.S. Navy, to impose the full naval embargo on the cartels. 
We will guarantee that the waters of the Western Hemisphere are not used to traffic illicit drugs to our country. Furthermore, I will order the Department of Defense to make appropriate use of special forces, cyber warfare, and other overt and covert actions to inflict maximum damage on cartel leadership, infrastructure, and operations. I will designate the major cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. <laughs> We will sever their access to global financial systems. I will also work to forge an unprecedented partnership with neighboring governments in our region. Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace, or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign. And it All right. I think we got enough of it. Instant reaction. What do you guys think? This is the moment that he became president. Yeah? I don't know. That's what we said <laughs> the whole time he was president. He finally became president. Um, no, I mean, it's great because that's what killed George Floyd. And so finally, we're going to get justice for George Floyd. Oof. Oof. I, Josie, what do you think? I got I got a lot to say, but. Well, first of all, I think he's looking particularly orange. <laughs> um, which makes me think he's healthy and happy and going for the gold. Um, I like everything he said. I agree with it. Um, that that's. A, a terrible, awful thing that's happening coming through the border. Um, I believe that he could do it if he were president because, like, he's brokered peace deals with the Middle East. I think that this is something he could probably figure out how to do. But I, like I said, I don't think until they sort out all the voting, all of the ballot harvesting, that we're ever going to have a Republican president again. So that's just well, my here's Here's my instant reaction because I hadn't watched that either. I just saw the headline and I was like, oh, God, here we go. Um, I feel like he's still not identifying the actual cartels that are really problematic. And while certainly, you know, drug addiction and overdoses and, and the fatalities that come from that are tragic, uh, I don't believe that until he focuses on either the big pharma cartels or the central banking cartel or the FBI cartel or the Uniparty cartel. I mean, there's so many aspects, the deep state cartel, the FBI, like what... Is he, I know this is like, this is red meat to his base because they in particular are very concerned about fentanyl. Um, first off, I don't think that prohibition works. Second off, I don't think he would be allowed to do any of this. I don't think that like the, the peace deals that he negotiated in the Middle East, I think that was all part of what the deep state wanted. I don't think that he's really allowed to, uh, to do, I don't think he was allowed to do much of anything. That's my honest opinion as to his presidency. Uh, if you guys disagree, please fire back. I suspect he was able to do something because they're still super pissed off that he exists. And mm. like it's I think that the plan was to slow walk us like Canada to the point where now what Jordan Peterson's like under this, you know, they're going to take his license away unless he goes through literal social media reeducation programs that he has to pay for himself. Then they're going to slow walk our asses with Hillary Clinton in that direction. And somehow he gets in there. And so that didn't happen. And they're still spazzing out like they're having to this day, he hasn't been president and getting on three years and he, they are having the biggest or two years. They're having the biggest conniption fit about him still that he might, you know, actually, you know, be able to do something or become president again or whatever. And so, uh, I mean, with the, as he says it, the January 6th unselect committee, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so he did something he did. There was something he must have done, but what, you know, that, that he was put in a position where he had a leash on him. 
that he was surrounded with people who who blunted the effects of what he wanted to attempt uh, is, I think, beyond question. I'm not so I'm not quite as cynical about what impact he had because my one of my best heuristics, I call it the iron law of woke overreaction, is that they are literally still shitting their shorts over this guy. So he must have messed their stuff up. There's no other explanation. I, I agree with you, actually, but let me clarify. I think that the primary reason that they hate him is because he gave hope to the the populist movement that opposes the establishment. And and they had essentially subdued those people and and cowed them into believing that there was no hope for, for reform. And then Trump comes along and they're like, wait, no, we actually can reform this thing. And I think that that more than anything is the is the thing that they hated about him is that he activated a hatred both towards the media as well as to the, the established uh, establishment duopoly um but i'm sure he did get some things you know passed and and pushed through that like the deep state didn't appreciate uh i just i just kind of doubt that he was actually allowed to enable or, or enact much of of what his people would have liked to have seen uh oh, josie, what uh, do you that's think? also without question by the way so yeah sorry josie that's all right um I, I think that the peace deals, they tried to undo as much of what he did as soon as he was out of office. They undid everything. They started wars. They um, they, they did everything bad. I, I think I always I've always said that Donald Trump was never supposed to happen and we were supposed to have Hillary Clinton. And so if we feel like the authoritarianism and the tyranny is headed and fast forward, it's because they are on a deadline, a 2030 deadline, and we're like four years behind. So mm-hmm. that's why everything feels like it's coming at us so fast, um, because he the, all they could do was delay. All they could do was delay so they wouldn't have to undo. Um, so there's a lot that he couldn't do. There's a lot of stuff he did that I don't like. Um, but when it came to the peace deals, I really, really supported that. And I, I know he has the best interests in mind for our country, but I also know he trusts all the wrong people um, to get that stuff done. So. Well, let's let's bring that right into modern day politicking. Uh, you know, he endorsed McCarthy, and no, he didn't. No, he did. I just shook my head. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, the the these are the types of behaviors that uh, make me question why, his sincerity. I think I know why he endorsed McCarthy. Uh, I think I do too, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I have. Here- I have a theory he endorsed McCarthy and he brokered that meeting with uh, McCarthy in the Freedom Caucus last night. So I think it has a lot to do with whether or not, like, I think it has a lot to do with January 6th and whether or not, you know, it's almost like a deal like, okay, I'm going to help you get speakership, but you got to, you know, I'm going to scratch your back, you're going to scratch my back type of thing, like whatever power you have to stop. They're trying to 14 a.m. is what they're doing. And I think, you know, he's got the friends where he's got the friends and, you know, he's trying to do it that way. But a lot came out of that meeting. And um, a lot of really good things, and he's responsible for that. So I would definitely want to give him that credit where it's due. Well, I'm of the opinion that uh, that terrorism, as uh, Dan Crenshaw called it, works in this instance. You have you have 20 obstinate, you know, freedom cockeye uh, mm-hmm. that that seem to be actually dedicated towards some genuine reforms, and and I think that's what's necessary. I mean. As you guys can probably tell, I'm not so interested or so concerned about the border as I am the FBI. Uh, I would and uh, investigation into Fauci. That's if I was if I had my druthers. That's the demands that I would be putting on the table. That Thomas Massey uh, will head either the FBI investigation and then have I don't know whoever 
whoever in the Freedom Caucus head up the uh, the Fauci investigation, and it seems as if they're still focused more on the old guard GOP things. Um, term limits, I guess, are nice, but like it's not. These are not the things I desperately need. I need to see Fauci in prison, and I need to see the FBI abolished. Like that's what I want to see. Um, what do you guys think about it? Or James, I mean, I need to I need to see these uh, WEF ties just yes dragged all the way to the surface. I, let's let's just get that out on the table. Like I said on Twitter last night, that one of the concessions that they should force McCarthy to have is to get on the House floor and publicly denounce the World Economic Forum, cut all ties, and then still vote him down. Um, <laughs> because do you just forgive these people like that have been? I mean, my opinion is that any state leader who anybody who's in, in leadership at the, at the federal level or even the state level who's in bed with the World Economic Forum is a traitor against the United States. That's my opinion about this. I I've agree. said this. I've got dragged for saying this because people say, well, what do you think you should do with traitors? And I was like, I, we all know what we should do with traitors. <laughs> and it, I was maybe a little more explicit about that. After a trial, of course, everybody deserves a trial. That's what, of course. Of course. But um this World Economic Forum, you mentioned a bunch of cartels that are not being mentioned by 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 Trump there. There is that cartel as well, which is kind of the whether you want to tie it. I mean, you can frame it in a couple of ways, but whether it's the ESG financial cartel, which the World Economic Forums like their hands are all the way up that cartel's butt and then like tickling things. And then you have the sustainable development goals that they serve, which is the United Nations, which is its own huge cartel. Um, McCarthy has ties to the World Economic Forum. Those don't belong in the speaker position, in my opinion. And so why that's not a condition, the Freedom Caucus knows about this. I know they know about this. They know that the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are a gigantic issue uh, for the sovereignty of our country and for freedom, which happens to be in their, their title. So I would love to see that kind of pressure being put as well. Mm -hmm. But generally, I agree with you. I mean, term limits and things. Yeah, these are these are um, these are like moving checkers around on the board kind of issues. Whereas I want to see, you know, the queen knocked off. I did switch like know which game you're playing. You're yes. playing chess, not checkers. Stop moving little pieces around and knock the queen off the board. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. I have a pretty hard line uh, agreement with the Freedom Caucus in this case uh, that they're taking a stand the way the establishment. Again, the iron law of woke overreaction is a beautiful heuristic. The way the establishment is reacting um, is telling us a lot. You know, whether it's Dan Crenshaw, whether it's Mitch McConnell, whether it's Nancy Pelosi, whether it's, um, you know, the the consultant class that's running its mouth on Twitter uh, and, and in the media. Um, they're telling us a lot that this stand that's being taken is important. And if it's going to resolve through concessions, then those concessions need to be very substantive. Bingo. Yeah. I, my honest to God opinion is like, if we end up with McCarthy, like go ahead and put Jeffries up. Like, I, I don't care. Like, I, I, I need to see someone who's actually going to uh, enable the freedom caucus to make things happen. And cause if they don't deliver, then what do, what do I have here? What do, do I just have a, a new face that basically uh, subdues the, the populist right wing and I get nothing meaningful done? Like Fauci just gets to go into retirement with a, the biggest pension in the history of the country. Like, I don't I don't find that as a tenable outcome. I, I genuinely believe that like if you don't punish the people that destroyed the world, if you don't investigate and disclose everything that went into the lockdowns 
and the COVID, um, I, I still don't know what I'm allowed to say on YouTube. So I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. COVID, uh, if we don't get if we don't get to the bottom of that, well, it's the greatest crime in human history. That's my honest to god opinion. So that plus ESG plus the World Economic Forum. Well, um, I will just point out those are all the same crime. They're literally all the same thing. They're just pieces of the same thing. True. Um, ESG scores went up for pushing the thing we're not allowed to say maybe on YouTube still, or we don't know if you're allowed to say it, that maybe or maybe doesn't um, cause things to happen in football games uh, <laughs> that we're also not allowed to talk about still. Um, but the thing is that your ESG score went up because that was considered both uh, environmental and social responsibility to do yes. what you were told with that. This is the exact same cartel. It's the exact same problem. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, no, I, I, I always forget about that, but it's true. And and I, I think that, you know, there's there's very likely to be lawsuits in the future uh, against some of these employers that that mandated this stuff. Um, I, I honestly, I think that it'll end up with liability protection and all sorts of things that that ultimately leave a lot of victims without recourse. And I hope it I hope it radicalizes people. I hope they realize how how egregiously evil it was that you were forced medical treatment and then the consequences you could do nothing over. And it's like, it's such a, it's such an amazing thing to even say about an American phenomenon, like from still holding on to that kind of hagiographized history of America. I'm like, I can't believe that this happened in my country. I, I don't know. Sorry. That was just a side note. Um, Josie, what do you think about uh, the, the Freedom Caucus and, and whether or not we should be dealing with even even negotiating a, a peaceful settlement with uh, McCarthy still as speaker? Well, one of the concessions that McCarthy offered was to put a Freedom Caucus member and at the head of every powerful committee, mm -hmm. which I think is the way to investigate the FBI. Is the way to get Fauci in jail. Is the is the these people are going to do something. We've already seen that happen. We know now that we can trust them. We know now that they have integrity. So we know that they're going to have their goals. And being in charge of these committees is going to get everything out there. So okay. I, I think best of all of the concessions that that could have possibly come out of it um like but as of right now there's still i think six holdouts like there he hasn't gone far enough yeah well good i mean you can you you can extract so much from him right now like i just mm -hmm. don't understand like what why you wouldn't why why don't you just hold his feet to the fire for two weeks and get everything you want out of him because it's clear but, but concessions were i can I, I imagine that they had to do with january 6th in the doj i in the fbi i imagine mm -hmm. that exactly what they had to do with and you know so far they got the committees and i think that that was him giving a little bit like okay well if i put you in front of this committee it's not something he has to go on the record saying it's like oh no not my wheelhouse anymore like it's it's your committee you know um so that's i i think that those holdouts are waiting because that's that's what they want they want what you're saying okay well good uh, then mm -hmm. then maybe Maybe McCarthy can ultimately end up, you know, receiving his his title, but we get everything we want. I, I still struggle to imagine that he won't undercut it every step of the way because I I strongly believe that the guy is owned by financial interest. I think he's owned by the World World Economic Forum yep. and all of all of our enemies of freedom. So um, I'm a little discontented there, but uh, I I think that we've seen a lot of progress on the ESG front, and I you know I've been talking about this as long as you have, James. Um, but they they do seem to be replacing it or, I don't know, 
adding to it with the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit about that for my audience, because I don't talk about yeah, SDGs yeah, yeah. specifically. No, so this is, I mean, the SDGs are actually the the older concept. Well, actually, they both kind of emerged around the same time. That's not 100% true. Let me give a little history of, of sure. both of these two concepts, ESG and um, SDG. So the, the, the ESG actually was... It developed at the United Nations. There was a man named James Gifford in 2003 who was like, hey, wait, we have all these trillions of dollars that are in passive investments, mutual funds, index funds, pensions, et cetera. How in the world can we get those assets to do impact investing basically where, you know, it's passive investment? So, you know, if I just dump my money in a mutual fund, I'm not going to go and particularly pick, you know, green stocks or whatever else. So how can we mobilize that? That was the point of the, of the ESG thing. By 2005, it was called ESG. It became a scoring metric with this promise that it was going to reflect long-term investment value as opposed to just short-term investment value. And they started to really encourage long-term value because, of course, it does make sense. These are pension funds, they're long-term investments. And so the logic behind it seems to make sense until you realize that anytime you introduce an exogenous variable into something like this, you're actually not going to increase value. You're you're now spreading value across multiple variables. So you're going to, I mean, impact investing is shopping for impact. It's not shopping for maximal return. So it's obviously not going to maximize return. It's, it's actually stupid when you think about it. The ESG <laughs> as a tool though, developed through the United Nations, at the United Nations, and the World Economic Forum got very invested for their so-called stakeholder capitalism model that they were, they've been trying to push since the 70s, um, literally since the 70s. They've, that's what the World Economic Forum was created to push, which was called the stakeholder capitalism model that Klaus Schwab claims he invented. He was protege of Kissinger. He probably didn't invent it. He probably plagiarized it, but sure. that's what these guys always do. And so... Um, the ESG started to fit very tightly into that. Well, meanwhile, the United Nations is working what they called the Millennium Development Goals. And the ESG was actually supposed to tie into and service the Millennium Development Goals. In 2015, they decided that eight Millennium Development Goals weren't adequate enough. Um, so they expanded them to, in September of 2015, to what are now called the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, framed as 17 goals to transform our world. And since I always bang on this drum, I'm going to bang it for a second that word transform means Marxism. If you don't know that yet, you're way behind. You don't know what's going on in the world. It's to transform it into a Marxist economy. That's what the point of it is. So the 17 sustainability development goals or sustainable development goals are the goals of what the United Nations calls Agenda 2030, which is the update from what used to be called Agenda 21, mm -hmm. which was supposed to launch in 2021. But as we talked about with Trump, he put, I mean, there were other factors as well. It wasn't going as quickly as, as they wanted it to. Uh, a lot of the carbon agreements weren't coming through, but uh, they had to kick it back out to 2030. 2030 is now the date of the rebirth of the world into an entirely new system. You'll notice it's seven years away. ESG was supposed to be the public-private partnership side of the equation to support the sustainable development goals and the trending toward making everything in the world about supporting the sustainable development goals without them just coming heavy handed with what's literally called an agenda from the United Nations, which would freak people out. And also you had to get corporations because you have to get that massive pot of money on board or this isn't going to go anywhere. Right. If corporations can do what they want, if large institutions can do what they want, if universities can do what they want, you're going to have too much variation in the market. You're going to have too much possibility for people to say, wait a minute, 
I'm going to do an experiment that's something else and try to, you know, outcompete. And you would see, you know, some universities saying, you know what, anti-woke, there's a giant demand for that. Let's cash in. And you don't see that anywhere. And that's indicative of cartel behavior. So the ESG got roped, er, wrapped more and more and more into a large financial cartel to control the public private sector. Now, notice I didn't say the public and the private sector, because this is another point that people don't understand right now. And I'm talking to my friends in the school choice <laughs> movement at the moment. Mm -hmm. There is no private sector. There is no public sector. There is a public private sector. They are working together. They are left and right hand of the same thing. And what they're working together to achieve are the sustainable development goals and the reboot of the world in 2030. So sustainable development goals, nobody's really talking about these things yet. Just like when I came on with you guys last time, we were talking about ESG and everybody in the world's like, well, it's ESG. And I talked to some political leaders in the Republican Party, some in the Freedom Caucus, as a matter of fact, some outside that are very influential in various states early last year. And I was like, ESG, ESG, ESG. And they'd say, they sit me down, we'd go get a drink after I'd talk to them or whatever, go to the bar, sit down, have a, have a beer and talk. And it would be like, okay, so this is the second time in my life maybe I've heard those three letters, but this seems like it's everything. Well, it's almost everything. It's all a setup for the SDGs. What they're going to do, because what Josie said earlier, clock's ticking, tick-tock, got seven years left, baby. Everything is going to start shifting to SDGs, sustainable development goal, propaganda, very hard this year. You're going to see it in education. Social-emotional learning is the tool, but that's beside the point in what they're going to call global citizenship education, which is this huge thing. It's the biggest thing in education right now outside of social emotional learning, which is a tool to facilitate it. They're going to push global citizenship. And what it means to be a good global citizen is to be sustainable development goals compliant mm -hmm. and competent, as a matter of fact. So you have to be a SDG activist in order to be competent and compliant. And that's what it's going to mean to be a global citizen. And you can kind of, once you hear words like global citizen, if you think for 30 seconds, you're like, there's no such thing as a global citizen because there's no global government that makes good on the citizenship relationship. What's going on here? But then you see what's happening. Um, the, the, the United Nations agenda is to inculcate into the population a global citizenship consciousness using education to get the kids involved in it. That's going to what it means is you're going to you're 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 going to be ESG compliant because ESG is the thing that services the ESG score is determined whether or not you're achieving sustainable development goals. And the sustainable development goals are going to be, I'm telling you, they're going to be everything anybody institutional is talking about and doing, where everybody's like, wait, 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 why, why, why? We didn't what we didn't talk about in the next two years, by the end of 24, every major institution, unless something happens to derail the movement is going to be pushing as hard into SDGs as they have been in ESG, which was just a tool to service it. Bingo. Now, ESG has taken some body blows this year. They're backing off of it, and then they're not backing off of it. And then they, they're dancing around with it. You have states actually openly pushing back. Florida's taking some, some hard strikes at it. West Virginia has, um, Louisiana has, mm -hmm. uh, a handful of other states. Utah's treasurer has... But under Spencer Cox, he, him, he uses his pronouns. So we will recognize Governor Spencer Cox, he, him for what he is, which is a gigantic douche. Um, <laughs> and obviously a uh, communist infiltrator uh, in the government governor's mansion in Utah. But the treasurer is fighting back, but the state is not. Utah and the LDS church are folding into this crap like you wouldn't believe. Wow. Um, but SDGs are so it's like I, I explain it this way. 
if you think of, the, I don't want to make too biblical of an illusion. I wasn't thinking of the Bible or Revelation when I first said this, but I've stuck with the metaphor. If you think of the monster as a dragon, the dragon has two heads. The heads of the dragon are ESG and social emotional learning. Mm. The heart of the dragon are the sustainable development goals. Mm. You break the sustainable development goals, the dragon dies. The tyranny of the 21st century is the sustainable development goal push from the United Nations. Everything, all roads lead to that. All the stuff we're talking about with McCarthy, all the stuff we're talking about with um, ESG, SEL, education, doesn't matter. All roads lead to, by 2030, we have to be fully compliant in the 17 SDGs. Man, that was a beautiful 10-minute uh, sermon. Yeah, and, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. That was great. I mean, that was basically... <laughs> what Jordan Peterson would greatly appreciate the dragon metaphor. Uh, I, I don't, I don't disagree with the a single word you said. I, I think that that's exactly what we're up against. And um, I do have one quick follow-up question. You, you said a Marxist economic model. Most people would assume you mean communism. What I see mm -hmm. is a communal fascism because it's global yeah, in yeah, nature, yeah. but, but fascism I mean, that was my word. So like, yeah, yeah. Using my, my, my language. Okay. So let me tell you guys about a historical character that is, somehow not very well known in the West. His name is Deng Xiaoping. He is a Chinese leader that took over after Mao, after a short tussle trying to figure out who was going to replace Mao when he died. So lots of Westerners have heard of Mao Zedong. They know that Mao was the communist leader of China, blah, blah, blah. They do not know that Deng Xiaoping was his successor. They don't know what Deng Xiaoping's views and values were. Okay, so the short, short version of what I'm about to tell you is that China now is the model. You have a communist government that does communist redistribution and communist destruction, but it's actually running a market because it has to solve what communists call the problem of production. They have to be able to produce enough goods and services to keep their economy running. Now, Deng Xiaoping's philosophy was based off of an aphorism that I don't remember how to say in Chinese, but in English it is rendered, I don't care if the cat is black or white as long as it catches mice. What he meant was, I don't care if we use Marxist theory or capitalism or capitalist markets, quasi-fascist markets, really. Right. I don't care if we use cap, uh, uh, communism, I should say, or fascism, as long as it solves the problem of production for the Chinese government and the Chinese people. That is the model. It is a complete co-optation of the Marxist ethos, the Marxist drive, the Marxist transformation, humanization of the world of man and society, and accomplishing it through what they finally gave in at the end of the 1960s and recognized into the 1970s when we're talking about Deng Xiaoping, we're looking at Kissinger, we're looking at these characters. They finally realized, we're reading Herbert Marcuse, that you're not going to overcome the West. You're not going to overcome what they what we would call capitalism, but we actually mean market economies without co-opting them to the project. And so what you had was a synthesis, a dialectical synthesis, to be very technical, of communism and fascism, which were already kissing cousins, into one model. That model is called a stakeholder capitalism model okay. or a public-private partnership. Um, in the West, the corporate sector will dominate over the public sector. In China, the public sector will dominate over the corporate sector, but they are functionally the same sector. And it's just a matter of optics, really, which one is leading and pulling the strings. And so the goal is to create that model throughout the West 
and in China. We see how great it's going in China right now. When the citizens finally started to do something, they realized, oh no, we kind of can't. The government has ridiculous power over us. Um, all they I had think, to do was I feel change. like we're realizing that here too a little bit. I mean, we're not to the point where all they have to do is change the color of a thing in an app in your phone and all of a sure. sudden you're homeless. Right. Uh, which, you know, that's where that goes. That's where some of this tech crap leads. And so anyway, the the point is, if you don't understand that the entire communist model incorporated the fascist market because of the pioneering work of Deng Xiaoping with, by the way, Klaus Schwab, with, by the way, Henry Kissinger um, in China to, as, as a huge global experiment for the next generation of what we might just simply call communism or neo-communism or communofascism or whatever we want to call it. If you don't understand that Deng Xiaoping with his, mo his his idea of I don't care if the cat is black or white as long as it catches mice, transformed the nature. Classical Marxism is out. They can say it's been co-opted by capitalism. They can cry and say whatever they want. The exact same transform the world to our technocratic ends. It's technocracy run by an oligarchy. That's what it is in either case. And they are they are no longer ideologically pure to the point where they care what the means look like. That's what Deng Xiaoping offered the world in this regard. And that's the model that has worked sort of on paper in sure. pastiche in China. And so it's the model that they want to import throughout the West. And Europe has basically said, hey, let's go get America on board, get the UK on board. The UK can't quite figure out what it wants to do. America is kind of waking up and saying, wait a minute, what the hell? Uh, and that's kind of the moment we find ourselves in. But Deng Xiaoping transformed the game. So communism and fascism in this case aren't actually that much different. Mm -hmm. It's just do you have a national or international outlook, really, as to which one you're mm -hmm. thinking about when you get into those kind of technical terms? It's still socialism. It's still the, the state owns and runs the corporations for its own benefit. Nobody right. has any freedom, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful reframing uh, and an explanation of the kind of synthesizing of the two worst totalitarian models imaginable into one super totalitarian model. I do have one more follow-up question before I bring Josie in, but I do you think that the US and or the West more broadly is adopting this communal fascist model as a out of necessity to, as a out of a belief that they have to do so in order to compete with the China, with China's rise or are they doing it in tandem with them? Like, like this is uh, what we're all going to do. Both. Um, actually, both. Uh, the pretext that's been given in a lot of our leaders, I think Joe Biden has said this a number of times, is that we actually have to m adopt similar models to China in order to compete right. with China. Um, there's another piece of this that a lot of people don't talk about, which is the desire to avoid Thucydides trap. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. In other words, you know, China's a rising power. The United States is already the global hegemon in some sense, at least economically and militarily. And so now you have this rising power that's going to try to challenge that order. And the options are bad. Uh, typically, this is Thucydides trap. And so mm -hmm. what's going to happen is you're going to run into a giant war for sovereignty and power and, and dominance. And if you want to avoid that war, we can go along to get along. We can copy the model. We can integrate. And that's been the pretext upon which to a lot of world leaders, this has been sold. This is one of the things, again, that Trump was like, no, nah, that's bullshit. Call him Rocket Man. Call him fat. 
you know, like whatever <laughs> um, that he didn't buy into so much. And that was a major problem for them. So there is willing cooperation. But when I look at these kind of big level players, so we're talking the United Nations, the World Health, Health Organization, the Council for Foreign Relations, um, the World Economic Forum and the CCP are kind of big, big characters. Soros is open society is a big character in a slightly smaller rung of things. Lots of resources, though. Um, when you look at these things, what I see is lots of frenemies. I see lots of people mm. who, at the end of the day, want theirs out of this. And they all think they're using each other to get where they're going to get. And so you see this with this kind of like occasional like undercutting and backstabbing of one another. Uh, but the pretext that's been sold is we must keep up or we're going to lose, which is a lie. Uh, it, it's a fertile fallacy, as they're sometimes called. Mm. Um you put a lie out and it runs and it does a lot of things in the world. And then eventually it's revealed to be a lie, but a lot of changes already happened. Think Patriot Act, for example. Um, and then secondly, uh, they're not exactly enemies. They're more like rivals than they are enemies. Right. Um, they're both push pursuing the same goals. They're willing to work together. I, I see actually Vladimir Putin in a similar sense that he hates the West, but he also hates whatever this, you know, conglomeration thing is, does that make him our friend or our enemy? Uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. or yes, <laughs> no. Uh, so, but you know, if he can knock that thing and hurt the West at the same time, he, he gets two birds with one stone. Right. And I see that, like when you look at how Klaus holds up, you know, the Chinese model, I see Klaus sucking up to the Chinese to make use of their stuff as much as possible. And then with the intention probably of betraying them at some point. Mm. But there is an overarching plan to make China the dominant center of, of, of things. So, I mean, it's complicated. The answer to your question is yes and yes and to both in various degrees and at various times and for various stratagems between these characters that I honestly, I'm having to do a little bit of guesswork here because it's not like they come out and tell you. Yeah, I mean, they, they do speak relatively openly, but as far as like whether or not China is actually, you know, perceived as a real enemy. Um, I can't really wrap my head around. It. Like, I can't, I can't tell for sure. Uh, Josie, just a quick interlude here. Do we sound insane? No. <laughs> okay, just, just making sure. Um, no, we sound sexy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she froze that, that face. So, am I still frozen? Uh, no, you're back. Kind of. Okay. I was like, oh God, frozen an awful face. Okay. Um. So the three major superpowers are the U.S., Russia, and China. You'd say, right? Like those are kind of the three ones, and they kind of have, like James had said, they want China to kind of be the the center, the the, the center of it all. So why not put proc a proxy war between Russia and the United States to kind of like make them dwindle down? Like russia is losing its forces they just lost 89 troops the other day and then america we're just they're bankrupting us you right. know so those are ways that they're weakening us well china just kind of goes and does their own thing so i thought that that was interesting another thing that i was thinking about as you were talking james was um the supreme court i feel like in order to have pushed a lot of what they want to push through for 2030 they need to go like it's going to go through the supreme court and had Hillary Clinton won, our Supreme Court would would mm. would be a shit show. It would have we'd have a bunch of uh uh what's her name? Kintanji Brown Jackson. 
Yes. We the have Sotomayors. I mean, whatever. Yeah. The additional Sotomayors, they'd all be, you know, they'd all be Marxists. And yeah. that's what our and then they'd be like, yeah, you know, let's let's expand it like and, and everything would just be passed. Yeah, you know? let's so that- let's turn over our entire autonomy to the U.N. Uh, that's a that's a really great point. I, I do think that Trump's presidency, um, you know, stemmed the bleeding. The best because the last thing they need to they got their hands on the military, which is bad. And they've just just weakened our military beyond anything I could have ever thought was imaginable by they literally kicked people out for not getting the vaccine. Like, I mean, this is, this is bad. This is bad. Yeah. Um, so they weaken the military in the next place. The, like the last thing holding us together as a country is the Supreme court at this point, the last thing that hasn't been completely infiltrated, the last institution that hasn't been completely in, just infiltrated with communists or, and that's why they want to pack it. Well, I think that's true. And and if we were in the sixth year of Hillary Clinton's presidency, that just gave me chills even thinking about it. Um, I don't know where we would be at in terms of freedom. It's it's hard for me to like actually imagine it being worse because we have lost so much over that six year span. Uh, but I, it's certainly arguable, at least at the Supreme Court level, I think we would have lost a, a ton more. I think, you know, lockdowns and things like that. I don't know if it would have been as harsh or maybe it could have been 10 times worse. I, it's so hard to evaluate this stuff in, in hindsight. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, James, is I, I've rarely have I heard you speak about IMF and and the the finance arms. Hmm. Uh, like we talk a lot about BlackRock and State Street Vanguard, the ESG big boys that make this stuff happen, but we don't really shine much light on the IMF and how how they via their lending vehicles to third world nations they're basically able to enact their sdgs globally um do you think that that's something we ought to be explaining more to people or am i overstating the the no it's important and and just by the thing that you were just saying a second ago how much worse off we'd be if we were six years into clinton or whatever um every time i wonder about that i look at what's going on in canada and think that we would be a mirror image um and so that's where I think, I mean, we might be more like the UK um, because Americans are Americans and our court is the court. True. But anyway, uh, as far as these economic entities are extremely important, I unfortunately know less about them, so I don't talk about them as much. Mm-hmm. But you can't th- you you can't throw a WEF or UN rock without hitting one of the uh, three of the OECD, the IMF, or the World Bank. Right. It's always these uh, World Bank this, World Bank that, backed by the World Bank, this and that, and the other thing. IMF, uh, I only know some of the things that they've been doing. Of course, they are deeply in league with the World Economic Forum. They're deeply in league with these programs. They are deeply in league with pushing the SDGs or the at least the ESG program. Uh, they are also, um, you can tell that they have uh, a lot of strategy like you were kind of hinting at. And I don't know if I mentioned this when I was on here last time. I've been talking about it for a long time and occasionally I say it in somewhere and it clicks with somebody, but like one of the impacts of um, the, the pandemic lockdown policies was a v- virtual lockdown completely on cruise ships. Right. And everybody's like, yeah, Petri dish, of course. Right. And so everybody's like, yeah, let's just go along with that great idea. Let's just shut down the cruise industry. And what a lot of people don't think about is the economy of the Caribbean or the military strategic location of the Caribbean. I mean, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. I should have reminded people of that it's a strategic location. But it's not just about whether they can put missile bases. It's that there are shipping lanes there that um, 
are extraordinarily important to U.S. interests to not have in enemy hands. And one of the things that's happened with shutting down the cruise industry in the United States is that all those Caribbean cruises, that's like a Super Bowl or five a day showing up to these poor ass islands. Yep. So their their economies are in some cases 75 to 90 percent cruise tourism. That's a lot of money that you just turned off with a switch for what now three years. And so what happens? Well, those countries that are strategically located in terms of shipping lanes and military presence are getting more and more and more financially desperate. And it is the case that the IMF and the CCP have made offers and deals with those countries as their economies start to finally hit bottom. Wow. And so you know that you have to be paying attention to an or organization like the IMF uh, or the World Bank or whatever else when you see them making strategic plays that, to misuse the word, but we'll use it anyway, involve geopolitics. Um, when we're looking at, the, at at things with high levels of, of consequence there and that we know that they're in, you know, the World Economic Forum is like the, you know, the COVID-19 is a narrow window of opportunity to reset our world, you know, and they're saying this and the IMF is like, yes, it is. And then they have these brutal policies that actually shut down the economies of Caribbean islands, um, virtually all of them. And then they happen to be the rescuers that are going to come in and scoop things up. You, you, you know that you have to pay attention to these things. This stuff all has to be financed. This mm -hmm. stuff all has to, um, I mean, it's not just the, it needs money. It needs cl uh, cleaned money, cleaned in the like laundered sense, money to run through all of it. And these organizations and the two biggest ones that, come up in the literature again and again, or the IMF and the World Bank right. need a tremendous amount of scrutiny put on them. Unfortunately, I know much less about their activities. I just know that they are making these kinds of so-called geopolitical moves. Um, and they are openly in league with all the big players that are the enemies of freedom in the world. Yep. And they seem to be in that kind of frenemy competition with the CCP, which is its own issue. And so you have to, we, we really do need to, I agree with you that even people like me, maybe if I had freaking more time need to be paying more attention to them or somebody who understands financial stuff better right. than I do also should be paying attention to them. It's like, I know a lot of people, I get this a lot and it's, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to like have like therapist couch moment with you, but it's like people come to me and want me to be like, the solution to everything. Of course. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't have time to go learn law and finance and education <laughs> models going back a century and like all these things so that I can keep up with the homework you're not doing. Yeah. No, I, I have the same issue actually. Um, but because of my, uh, I was a mortgage broker, so I have a finance background and that's the reason I asked you about it. Um, yeah. I, I have Alex Gladstein on, uh, next week and he is one of the top writers on this, on this issue. He did a incredible piece. Um, I'll actually send it to you after the show. I think you'd find it fascinating uh, that that breaks down IMF and and how all of this has has transpired. Because while I have a, you know, pretty decent depth of financial understanding, I didn't really understand, you know, special drawing rights and all the stuff that goes mm -hmm. into how they actually the seniorage, the, the way that they create the currency, and then they're able to deploy it to these third world nations basically as debt that they just receive interest on it it's a it's a fascinating tale and, and one that i think demonstrates that we have not been dealing with a free market on any level for a very long time and and one that is extraordinarily cartel like and this is why i get so disappointed when i hear trump 
even though I know it's red meat to his base, not focusing on the root causes of these issues. And that's that just it drives me crazy. Um, you just I don't want justice for George Floyd is all I'm hearing. <laughs> that, that's, we that's finally right. have this moment. <laughs> I'm just I'm we, just a raging fent fentanyl addict. So I can't we have know what killed George Floyd. It was Democrat border policy and Trump's <laughs> ready to put a stop to it. And here you are saying he's focused on the wrong thing. George <laughs> Floyd, rest in power. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's a, that's a great uh, time for a one-minute break. I'll bring these guys right back in just a second. Make sure you guys like, comment, and subscribe. Um, if you've been putting your life on auto autopilot for the past three years because of lockdowns and you're just kind of coming out of that slumber, now is a great time to uh, take a little bit more control of your life. And that's why I want you to focus on crowd health. Open enrollment is almost over. And that means that now is the time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. We all know the system isn't working, but thanks to CrowdHealth, we can do something about it. CrowdHealth puts your healthcare back in your hands, cuts out the middleman, saves money, and funds your healthcare costs without relying on big government or big insurance companies. But do not wait until it's too late because open enrollment ends on January 15th. That is very, very soon. The way CrowdHealth works is that you pay one low monthly total to fund your account. Your monthly subscription helps fund healthcare costs of the entire CrowdHealth community. And unlike insurance, there are no doctor networks. So you can see any doctor you want. How cool is that? I cannot tell you how much I hate having to see one doctor. And then if I have to fix it or I have to switch it, I have to go contact my insurance. They have to give me a list and then none of that. You don't have to do any of that. So uh, give this serious consideration. It is, it is time. You got 10 days, 10 days. Take charge of your healthcare today with CrowdHealth. Open enrollment is the only time you can hit eject on the broken system without penalty. So do not wait. And for a limited time, join for just $99 per month. How much cheaper is that than your current health insurance plan? I paid 500. Ugh. Uh, sorry, join for just $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code lockdown at joincrowdhealth.com. Open enrollment ends January 15th, so sign up today before it's too late. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. And we're back with James and Josie, my favorite humans. Um, all right. So, sorry, I, I didn't follow up with Josie before we went to break there. Uh, do you have any any take on my assessment of the IMF and the kind of the global lending infrastructure being I know it's a, I know it's a very complicated thing for people to like wrap their heads around. Is it is it something that we can actually convey to the average person that could get them activated? Because I honestly believe like if we can't reform and dismantle those entities, like you're going to be fighting an uphill battle for the rest of human history. That's my honest opinion. First of all, I think y'all are both so smart. Oh, like, well, thank you. Listening. You guys talk and it's just. <laughs> incredible like i'm um everything i do i'm, I'm self-taught everything i i never went to school for it or anything like that so a lot of people don't know that but you guys are just so smart well you're uh, you're very smart too oh thank you <laughs> so uh my thing that people come to me about is my predictions they're like okay well what's what's gonna happen next and i'm like i don't know like i just I pick up on something and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you but i can't like make a thing happen i guess you know right so, right so you with finance and you with uh, literally everything, James. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, for, for all that, like I said, it's, it's, it's out of my wheelhouse. I'm learning, I'm learning. You guys are teaching me about, about this sort of stuff. So it's, uh, it well, all, it all 
And then what, what James said about the cruise industry. And I mean, like I pick up on a lot of things and you know, the, the Petri dish thing, that's where my, my brain stopped. It's like, nope, I, cause cruise ships, Petri dishes, like, boom, stop. I it didn't even like the world, the economy for those small islands. Like it, it didn't even cross my mind at one point. Like right. I am my right now that somehow that got by me. Like, thank you. Well, like, well yeah. see, this is, this is what was driving me. So like literally driving me insane in the summer of 2020 is because of my understanding of economics. I'm just thinking to myself like, oh, we're going to destroy everything. Like this is going to wreck fucking everything. And, and no one seems to care. Like I'm just shouting into the wind, like, okay, so maybe you save a couple thousand people, but do you know how many people will die because of impoverishment? Do you know how many governments will fall because of what you're doing to your people? Like, all of this is going to create disarray. It's going to create economic dysfunction that ultimately makes the people suffer. And and like you're trading off one type of suffering, which is an overran hospital, which was the alleged reason for doing it, versus sustained economic destruction that ruins an entire generation of people. And and like that trade off, that discussion was not being had. And that from my What's that? You, you couldn't have that discussion. You weren't allowed to talk about trade-offs. You were killing grandma if you talked about trade-offs. Right. Or if you, I mean, when you try to make these kind of proje projections and you say, well, economic conditions are going to go really bad and this is going to cause massive destruction. People, for whatever reason, can't see it. I don't understand, but they, they well, they can't see the virus either, but they can see the idea. They can see people getting sick. They can picture in their minds the overrun hotel uh, hospitals. They can picture whatever the propaganda is feeding them 24-7. And so their ability to understand that one can't merely unplug an economy for, you know, 15 days that happened right. the last two and a half years uh, and everything just kind of be okay. It seems, it, I, I mean, it's it's a systems level thinking. It, it's mm -hmm. at no point is it, that, oh, well, unplugging the economy directly caused this. You have to understand that, well, you, when you disrupt supply chains, people are going to end up starving down the road because these are how these things work. And yep. it's it's very difficult for people to, to grasp these things. Is it a hopeless fight, which, which is kind of a question you ask? I don't think it is. I think, um, and this is something that I spend all my time doing. I feel like the velociraptors in... Um, the original Jurassic Park smashing their face against the electric fence. I'm looking all the Clever time. For like, that's right. I'm all the time throwing out like attempts to package up complicated material in a way that people can grasp and banging my face against the electric fence over and over and over again until I finally find something that works. Mm -hmm. The same level of experimentation with communication needs to be happening mm. in regard to the financial aspects of this. And, um, I mean, we could do a whole separate episode. I don't quite know enough, but I'm tapped in enough to know that the entire travel industry right now, aside from the energy industry, which is on the back of these things that you were screaming into the wind about, the entire thing is actually set to blow itself up from the inside soon. The The travel industry is going to try to commit suicide. And then where are we going to be able to go? What are they calling it? In some of these places, you're like 15 minute zone or whatever. You're only allowed to go oh, 15 yes. minutes away from your home. Yeah. And you can in the see UK. what, yeah, you can see what their, their objectives are. Um, you know, the, the, the travel industry is currently split, but the power that be within it is pushing like wholly in the direction of virtual travel, subsuming actual travel. 
we yeah. don't need to travel. We can put on a metaverse headset. Mm. You can pretend you went to Rome by putting on your goggles. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's it, split on that, but the leadership is not split on that. That's the direction that the industry wants to go. Um, simultaneously, we have the issue, and I know I've gone a little tangential here, uh, but the the industry is 100% committed to sustainability. So we look at these cruise ships, we look at what they do economically uh, for these, whether it's islands or whatever else, or whether it's just for the number of people they employ, the number of Floridians who are employed by huge boats that require thousands of people to work on them. Uh, yeah, right back there. These things being 100% dedicated to the sustainability uh, program is you start thinking about the long-term implications of these things. Um, it's not just COVID. COVID was merely a pretext to start introducing a lot of these changes. We see it in the energy industry as well. Massive changes like what? Well, let's shut down another refinery. Well, what happens if you shut down enough refineries? Well, you think, well, we're going to have an energy crisis, so we got to turn the refineries back on, right? Not so easy. They've been idle. They've not been maintained. You can't just turn them back on. You actually may have to rebuild them. Some of them may have been dismantled. Yep. You have to rebuild them. That's a five-year build project to build one. So you're not going to get turn one back on for five years. Best case scenario. But what they're finding like in the nuclear energy industry right now is when they go to build new nuclear power plants and the few places that they can actually do it, they're finding out that they don't have any senior engineers with the knowledge to do it. Mm-hmm. All the senior engineers who had figured out how to build the kind of continuity of institutional knowledge retired and died. It aged out. This, and this is I pencil, but in a modern iteration where like we. Correct. <laughs> and they don't know how to build nuclear reactors again. They have to go back. So that might be a 20 year project to get these things back up to, to, to scratch and to. to oh my output. God. And when you add, when you take that and you look at what's happened in the nuclear industry and you switch that over and you pay attention to what's going on in the oil and gas and maybe even coal industries. Yep. People are like, oh, yeah, well, we'll, maybe we'll get to the energy crisis and then we'll turn it all back on and we'll just reverse it. No, 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 no. What happens is there's a very long arc to being able to do that and a very strong argument that it's not financially worth the resources. Mm. Let's just continue on this, you know, energy scarcity trajectory that we've we've put ourselves on because they'll argue that that'll be better in the same amount. Like in 10 years, we'll get solar up to the point where a new refinery would have been anyway. So why bother with the refinery at all? And tanking that level of institutional knowledge and the operational continuity, both in terms of personnel and in terms of facilities of our energy and travel industry is a major, major project for them right now. We see that with all all the stuff going on with the flights. Why is that happening? Because they'll, they told you, read the articles, read what they're saying. We can't hire enough pilots and crew to keep up with demand. Wonder why they jabbed a bunch of them, bunch of them quit because they didn't want to be jabbed and and so on. And this is, I've I've talked to pilots. It's a fact just for these are these downstream effects of, yeah, these are the downstream effects. And what you're going to watch is all of these systems that are kind of delicate, whether it's travel, whether it's airline, whether it's energy, we're going to watch in kind of slow motion system collapse. And when the system collapses, it's not like, oh, wow, that was a mistake. Let's just start it up again. You've got a massive problem on your hands to restart something like that. I mean, we're talking decades to restart yeah. some of these things. Well, I, and th- this is where the you know conspiracy theorists sound very spot on when they say that the Great Reset is literal. It's like, well, you're going you're gonna to base it. Do you know who yep. announced the the official beginning of the Great Reset? Larry Fink. Who was it? No, 
The person we now call, because he had a different name then, we had a different title. The person we now call King Charles was the person who announced that the Great oh, Reset shit. had officially begun. Wow. He was the first one to come out and say, not in like, oh, we have this book from Richard Florida back in 2008 or 9 or 10 or whatever it was. And we have this book from Klaus Schwab that came out oddly quickly after the pandemic started. Then we have the people writing about it. No, 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 no. We had the now king, then prince, come out and say, there, the Great Reset has officially begun. Wow. He's the one who announced it. What, what year was that? Do you remember? 2020. It was 2020. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was in the middle of the pandemic. They announced, I forget what the exact date is, but I'm pretty sure it's in June 2020. There was an official start date to the Great Reset. Yeah, well, I would argue that it was probably more around April, but he was uh, he was nice and he let it he let us live in darkness for two months. God, good lord, that's scary. Um, Josie, you were saying earlier that like you find this interesting and it and it's uh, you can you can sense the level of intelligence that went into this analysis. But is there a, is there a better way that that either of us or any of us could frame this that people could actually understand? Because I, I actually wanted to ask James about this too, because the the same way that social emotional learning, the SEL uh, curriculum has been rolled out into to schools and how it has crippled enti an entire generation or is, is continuing to cripple an entire generation. I feel as if I, some of the other curriculums, I don't know the the history, but like the, the ability to essentially indoctrinate our kids into not understanding basic economics, into not being able to extrapolate anything, to have no logical framework, to have no way of wrapping your mind around like knock on effects. Once you make a decision, then, you know, there's BCD is uh, naturally to follow. I think a lot of that really is the reason that the the people went along with the, the lockdowns because they were not capable of doing what I did, which was knowing that this was going to be completely counterproductive. Um, so Josie, is there anything that I could do to frame this in a way that's more compelling, that is more comprehensible for people? Because I, I, I feel like I don't want to, be the velociraptor banging, banging my head on the fence. I think people have to want to listen. Okay. That's important. Um, but I wanted to go back, way back, 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 back to when James was talking about nuclear reactors and how everybody was dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so something that Jordan Peterson had said that was really interesting was um, with equity, they're like, okay, we want every, every word has got to be equitable. You have to have equal women, equal men. He's like, well, you get something like nuclear power, for instance, people who work in that field and you have hundred people who work in that field, hundred, hundred of them. And you have five women in that maybe. So you're going to hire all five of those women, even if they're trash to make it equitable. And that's going to bring down the quality of whatever you're doing because you're you're not going through your whole pool your pool has shrunken dramatically and now you're hiring people who you know i'm not saying women are bad at this but yeah they kind of are um so are we talking yeah, about the vice president i'm just kidding what was <laughs> vice president diversity hire is that who we're talking about yeah that sounds real familiar um so 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 that's what i was i was i thought about that when you were saying that how you know everybody's dying but then they haven't even filled it with qualified people to take those positions. They've filled it with people who have degrees and, you know, have a certain XX, YX, XY, whatever, you know, like, so. Sorry, uh, I'm just going through some of the super chats because I, I really appreciate that people are doing that. Um, uh, Ray Ancap says, 
Oh, excuse me. Uh, marvelous program, Clint James' ability to connect all the malevolent decisions by the U.S. leaders to their ulterior motives is amazing. I agree. This is why James is, uh, you know, one of my not not to be to be missed shows with new discourses. I just I just got to take ten seconds and just say how much I appreciate um, what you've done with new new discourses. I I can't tell you how how um, valuable it, it has been to me in terms of like equipping me with the academic backdrop to kind of go along with my more instinctual assessment of what's occurring like i i can now i can now actually explain to people how this these terrible sick ideas have been weaponized and utilized and implemented it's like it it just connected so many dots and i feel like um you're our academic alex jones almost <laughs> <laughs> well i've been called worse uh, or better um, sure. yes, but no, sure. I mean, this is the, the, this is the thing though. So my superpower, the, the, how do, how do I do, I read what they write <laughs> and believe them. That's like literally right. it. I, I learned how to read. Their and then people call language. you crazy for it. <laughs> I know it does take learning to read initiate language. You have to understand that it's mm -hmm. initiate language. So you see words like equity and people, Oh, well, that's a new kind of equality. What they don't understand. And here's like a, one of these things where I bang my face against the fence long enough. They don't realize that equity equalizes downward. The only, this is what Josie was talking about. We're going to hire for equity. Well, what does that mean? It means we're going to bring quality down because it turns out it's virtually impossible. If you think of like, you know, military analogies of a champion, what is a champion? It's like that one guy who's out of a hundred, who's just crazy. And the, the old saying goes, brings everybody back. Um, you can't bring 99 dudes up to the level of champion. And so what do you have to do if you want things to be more equitable? You have to bring the champion down. You have to bring mm. the heroes down. You have to kind of get rid of those. We see that in education. We just saw that huge scandal in Virginia where they aren't giving merit awards to Asian students because they were doing too well or whatever. Right. Um, yet again, uh, the discrimination against Asians uh, because of what merit because of success and so well, that's what they get it. for being born asian james i'm sorry well that's right you see what happens in <laughs> in 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 like with grading equity grading everybody just gets kind of a good grade they call it grade inflation but mm -hmm. actually what you're dealing with is equity grading and what this does is it actually brings down the quality of everything and equity equalizes downward um, because that's the only way that it could possibly equalize uh, you could you, the only way you can make the landscape equal is with a bulldozer um, is another way you might phrase that. And so the reason that I'm able to grasp what equity means and understand those kinds and, you know, spin off those kinds of like little, little, uh, you know, talking points or whatever is because I read their literature. Um, it's amazing. I even put this on Twitter recently. It's when I'm reading, I have no lack of things to say. And when I decide I'm tired of reading and don't read for a few weeks, I sit there on social media feeling like a dumbass and I don't know what to talk about. Um, <laughs> reading is the key. I don't mean to make it academic, but the podcast is me mostly reading sources that they've given. Occasionally I just talk, but most of the time I read through some, even if it's just a couple paragraphs and riff off of it, but I read through their sources and show you, this is what they're thinking. This is why they're thinking it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why the, you know, it, taps into your instinctual understanding it's tapping into exactly the things Josie's saying um it's 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 not that magical the hard part's learning that you're dealing with initiate language that that the words mean more than one thing yeah that when they say you know our democracy they mean something quite specific it's a technical term and that or you know any other word diversity or whatever and that they change the definitions of words or the, actually it was really they change the scope of the definition of a word 
strategically and intentionally. Words broaden and shrink in their meaning. Right. So a good example is diversity, but we could use like literally social emotional learning is another one. Well, or racism. Very, racism sure, or cast a very broad net on what it means. But at the end of the day, once they get policy level or institutional level control with that term embedded everywhere, the definition shrinks down to doing their agenda. Mm-hmm. And so the, they, 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 they can then expand the definition of a word like you know, domestic terrorist to lump in all of the people they don't like or racist. So they expand and contract the meanings of words and they use the words, how that expansion and contraction works when it's valid to change it, what the specific meanings of the words are. That's the best way to phrase it is initiate language. You become initiated by going through the academic classes or by getting put through what amounts to social justice hazing by your friends, your social circle. You get hazed into the initiate language and you become what in kind of cult terminology becomes the outer circle. A lot mm-hmm. of cults have the outer circle or the outer school, the inner school, and then the inner circle, the, the, the core cadre. What most of our wokey people that we deal with are in is the outer circle or the mm-hmm. outer school. They have adopted the initiate language. They've adopted the ethos, but they're not allowed to know what's really going on. Right. And um, and they don't receive the want- primary benefits of it either. Right. So if you want to, you have to read their words and you have to every time I tell people this all the time, anytime you see something that looks like a buzzword, you need to stop. You need to think, how might this mean something different that's mm-hmm. consistent with all the other shit they say? That's all I do. So, you know, we got Governor DeSantis's wife, Casey, pushing a gigantic resilience program for kids. We have governors again, Spencer Cox, he, him uh, pushing a youth mental health and resilience program. Jim Murphy's pushing this. The National Association of Governors is pushing this. Resilience, resilience, resilience. What could that mean? Well, it could mean something like the opposite of fragility. Well, what, you don't want people to be fragile. You want people to be resilient, right? And so what, is, what does fragile mean? Fragile, we learned with white fragility, means not taking your brainwashing well. Mm-hmm. And so you're resilient if you suck it up and take your brainwashing. And does Casey DeSantis know this? I don't know, but it's embarrassing for her if either way. Yeah, it's no, embarrassing it's... either way. But it, what it boils down to is we haven't spent the t- she hasn't or somebody hasn't or worse, they have spent the time to figure out what that word means. Right. They haven't. When you run into these buzzwords, I tell people this all the time. If you want to run in these spaces and you want to know the secret sauce to have interesting things to say, here's what you do. Make your own podcast. Get huge. Put me out of business. Here's what you need to do. You run into a word like resilience or sustainability or something that sounds kind of buzzwordy and kind of that corporate pablum kind of woke speak feel to it, just go type that word into the fucking search engine and then type World Economic Forum right after it and see if they use it as a specialized term because they always do. Uh, and then you can get, you can start to understand what they mean by it. We need resilient systems, which don't, you know, which are, and how do we get one? Which don't cave under pressures like COVID-19. Well, how do we get one? Well, we have global cooperation. Oh, so a resilient system is one that's under stakeholder control by a central entity. We need resilient kids. What does that mean? It means, well, when they when they face, you know, basically their their SDG brainwashing and this I'm actually paraphrasing directly out of a UNESCO document from 2019 titled SEL for SDGs. Well, when they when they're fed their their brainwashing about becoming change agents for the sustainable development goals in schools and that causes them to have emotional reactions and cognitive dissonance and stress, you use tools like social emotional learning to inculcate resilience into them, which means people who accept their brainwashing well. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, shit, that compares off of fragility really well. We, you, and you can start to get a feeling for how they misuse those words. And that's 
so important if you want to be able to fight back and to take, say, your intuitive approach um, and turn it into a really sharp weapon that you can right. use to communicate these ideas and, and, and defeat them. Yeah. Well, that's why I brought it up is because I feel like your program has has made me better at doing that. I can actually engage on on the battlefield that they have laid for us um, and also try and and like reconfigure it and, and create some advantageous positions as opposed to being on the defensive. Uh, Josie, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, by the way, James, you missed an opportunity. You, you should have named your show uh, Marxism, Marxism Audible. Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> Josie, I, I do want to ask you because, you know, you're a mother and and I know that you moved um, from Massachusetts to Florida to to try and get your kids out of these uh, woke indoctrination mills. Um, one, does do you think that this that this information is is actually reaching the the parents to any major extent or are they just kind of instinctually sensing it and then two um i wanted to ask you about the the drag queen story hour stuff and and if there is if it's just sexual perversion or if you think there's something more to it all right first i want to say james the way that you read what they say and like like you're just you're saying their own words and that's like how you do your research I love that. That's how I do my research when it comes to uh, history and the founding documents. People are like, oh, well, you know, I heard it this way. I'm like, well, I heard it directly from the mouth of, you know, James Madison. Like I read his words. I read his letters. I read everything from that era back and forth to each other, newspapers, letters, everything. And that's how that's how I get my knowledge. That's the only people I can trust at this point are the people who said it themselves. I don't trust anybody anybody so. trying to tell me what I'm supposed to be hearing or learning. So I'll, Primary I'll, go, sources. <laughs> I'll go toe to toe with anybody on that. And I have, I've done spaces and where people have been like, actually like Clinton was on one the other day, I did a space and the guy was trying to tell me that the Boston tea party was because of heroin. Yeah. I, that was I, interesting. I'm, what the, <laughs> you know, it's like that. I never saw anything about that. In anything I ever researched, you know, like coming into the 1800s, that became a thing, but not, not in 1773. But um, all right. So I have a story about being a mother in Massachusetts. Now, I got on every school, every school, whatever. I've elected principals, superintendents. I was on all of those boards for my children's school because like that's that's what I do as a mother. I get myself on these boards. Now, I have a story and there's some confidentiality. So I'm going to try to be as vague as I can, but I feel like it needs to be told. OK, so. We were going for a principal. All right. I won't say the school. I won't say names. Nothing like that. But this is real. This is as bad as it gets and as bad as it is. Okay. So we are trying to uh, find a new principal. All right. So I'm on the board to find the principal. There was 10 contestants and, um, or I guess applicants. <laughs> it felt like contestants. But anyway, um, there were two of them that were great. Two of them were totally great, like, because the whole thing is like, we want to turn the school around. You know, we need people are leaving my my child's former school just just in droves, just leaving. All right. My class, I graduated from the same class when my children were at the same school my children were in. And um, my graduating class had 99. Their graduating class might have had 15 or 20. OK, like that school was failing. Damn. Yeah, so they dying. wanted to pull in to to make the school better. So they had people who were like, oh, well, you know, we could bring in tech programs and this and that. And I'm like, wow, this is all great. And this is the people that I'm I'm going to vote for, you know, to, to get into the school because they have plans for how to improve the school. So then this guy comes up, all right? And he said his plan was going to be 
pretty much SEL, Marxism, um, every buzzword you can imagine. And he, everybody fell in love with this guy. Okay. And this guy, I I can't explain it. Guy gives me the creeps, like just gives me the, like, and this is just something I sense this about people. And I'm like, something's really off about this guy. I just, something's off. And um, he uh, was on, he, he ended up, he ended up being published by um, this 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 uh, blogger called Turtle Boy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Okay, so it's big guy in Massachusetts, and he finds out the dirt on everybody, right? So this guy was pretty much saying like, oh, you know, I was this blogger defamed me, you know. So if you Google me, you'll find stuff on this, and I'm like, of course I'm gonna Google you, even though I'm not supposed to. So, you know, I I, I dug in, and I found out like he was he'd gotten he was principal of a middle school. And he'd gotten over the speakers and he was telling all these middle school students that cops kill black children. And he's saying this to kids over the speakers, right? And I'm like, all right, well, that's pretty bad. But there's still something, something's giving me the creeps about this guy. Um, So I I dig and I dig and I dig. And I find out, I'm I'm going through his resume and I find out he lied on his resume. There's like a nine month period that he lied on his resume. Like, well, what the hell was he doing in those nine months? so I dig and I dig and I keep digging and I find out that he was accused of sexually assaulting a student and it was swept under the rug by the superintendent and he had to go off the <laughs> James grid. and I are both like, yep, that sounds yep. about right. <laughs> go off the grid Checks for out. 10 years. Okay, this guy had to go off the grid for 10 years. So so in, in the 10 years, like he said he quit the job because he got a new job, but he didn't. He didn't start the new job until August and he was fired in January. Okay, so he had like, I guess, eight months where he was like, where the hell were you? What were you doing? And he had lied on his resume. And he spent 10 years writing textbooks. So he did that, which is what a lot of defamed teachers go off to do or defamed whatever. And then he got the job over at the school where he was talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter or whatever. And then he goes to our school. And this guy was going to be the principal because he was going to be the principal. Like everybody wanted him because they all loved him, right? And the best part is the vice principal was also on on this. And the vice principal loves him too. He's like, oh my God, I feel like I could really get along with this guy, right? Vice principal ends up getting fired the next year for an inappropriate relationship. So so this, so I told the principal, I'm like, listen, I know I'm not supposed to research this. I, I understand, but I did because something was giving me the creeps about this guy. And I'm like, this is what I found. And he ended up, and he, like, the principal was like, well, he's like, you know, principal's a good guy and he's like i probably would have found this in my investigation i'm like i don't know if you're gonna sleuth as deeply as me but yeah maybe not um well good job mom you saved some kids for sure hey i i have one quick thought uh it sounds like you got a little bit more to say about it but um this anybody else struck by the fact that this sounds like uh like the archdiocese moving around past like uh molesting pastors from different schools like it it does strike me that like you can't really ever like you have tenure it's very hard to get rid of you and then if you get get rid of the guy by some miracle he just goes to some other school district and does the same shit all over again yeah yeah so i don't feel that that's what i said i said the pedos stayed the same but the church changed they're not right. churches now they're schools and they've always been in both places but now they are in schools like how many like you can't you can't go one one week without five or six of them being uncovered and that's just the ones that we know about that do of this course. kind of stuff it's yeah. it's horrifying terrifying like as a mother that that's happening so i mean i i moved to florida i got my kids out of those schools you know and i did the homeschool thing too and during the pandemic um got my kids out of there i came to florida and i great schools like you know 
like they have my, I'm finding out like my kids are are gifted you know things they didn't have that up up in Massachusetts mm-hmm. they didn't have gifted programs like they do in Florida my daughter one middle daughter who's gifted she was tutoring kids in fifth grade because they didn't want to give her extra work or make her feel special they just they made her do the teacher's job essentially you know so so that's the kind of stuff the difference but from Massachusetts to Florida that I'm finding is my kids are all really really smart and they weren't they were being brought down to the lowest common denominator with the SEL that was going on there. A well, lot that's, of the, that's what equity is all about. Exactly. A lot of the questions on those, 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 um, the panels that I was on to, to elect the, to elect the, the principal or the superintendent or whatever, all had questions about SEL, all had questions about equity, all had questions about, yeah. Uh, one woman, they wouldn't even, she was great, really great qualified uh, principal candidate. But she called the LGBTQ the alphabet gang, and they immediately wrote her off because of that. She like didn't matter. It was a woman. Didn't matter her credentials. Didn't matter anything. She it was it was bigoted. Well, my so my it, instant reaction so. would have been, "You're hired." <laughs> if you, if you say alphabet her. gang, I thought she would have been a really great principal. She's you know, and she had a good explanation, or like I guess her explanation about how she would have dealt with them. They would have liked had they not been turned off by how she identified that group mm-hmm. of people. You know, so well, yeah, it was. I think I think I have. Uh, obviously, this is a leading question. You can tell just by the way I'm asking it. But uh, do you think that the the uh, what's it called? I always get it wrong. I always want to say trans, but I the one where you just dress like the other sex. What's it? Cross dressing. Drag drag queen. Yeah, cross drag queen. The story are. Um, do you think that it? I don't think that this is purely like a sexual perversion thing. I really don't. I think that there's there's ulterior motives. There's a reason for it being done. Um, let's start with Josie, and then we'll have James follow up with the academic explanation as to why this is true. <laughs> do you do you suspect that at all, Josie? Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot um, going in into that, it, and it goes down to everything. Because, uh, for instance, I I'd gotten into an argument with somebody online about this, and every time he would show me a picture, it'd be like a woman dressed like a clown reading a book to a kid right like you know so so they deflect to to that they know they don't want to they don't want to show you what happens at drag shows so they show you what happens at 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 reading time you know like story time like this isn't bad you know but you look at the people who are involved in making story time a thing and like one of them's like in prison you know like this is yeah, there there are bad. Well, and, and by the way, like, why the fuck are you dressing like a clown in front of kids, anyways? Like when, when you're reading to them, it's just it's just strange behavior, in my opinion. I don't know. It's it's a way to get them. Kids are are sponges, and so this is a way to get them to accept to to see this as normal by being like, oh, this this man dressed like a woman is reading me a book. Okay, mm. this is normal now, you know. So so it's it's a way to to normalize um, yeah. degeneracy and to to you know like what what comes after that you know like it's it's going to come to a point where every everything's got like like i think pedophilia is next on on the list to tell you the truth and it's gonna you know because they're they're changing the word in scotland already is minor attracted people they don't use pedophile anymore um and that you know we see we see the walls crumbling around us before they're going to get to us and so we could look at around us and kind of get an idea of what's to come and that's yeah. that's the kind of stuff, the kind of crap that they want to put into America is and make this tolerable. And everything's going to be like, well, if you don't accept this, then you're a bigot, you know, and nobody wants this label. So the whole point is that you have to get to a point where you got to be like, 
your words have no power here. Like you can call me racist and a bigot and whatever. And you just, you don't have power, no power. And as soon as you take the power of their words away, then that that's what they have. They have words, they have connotations, they have stigma, and that's what they want to put on you. So. Yep. And, and if you value your children more than you do your ego, uh, you should be able to forge ahead with reckless abandon. I would hope, uh, James, go ahead and tell us what you think about it, man. Oh Lord. Yes, so I know you got a lot to say. To say. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've done a lot on this. I've got a whole podcast I did that I call Groomer Schools Force about about Drag Queen Story Hour specifically. I read a academic paper that I keep open on all of my devices at all times called Drag Pedagogy, where they actually tell you what the purpose of Drag Queen Story Hour is. <laughs> In their own words, is written by a trans education activist and a uh, drag queen, one of the coordinators of the Drag Queen Story Hour program who uh, goes by the stage name Lil' Miss Hot Mess. Uh, I think the real name, if I remember it correctly, is a Harris Kornstein. Um, but at any rate, uh, so I do know a lot about Drag Queen Story Hour. And the first thing I think we, and I'm in a lot of trouble over Drag Queen Story Hour right now, not just because I've exposed it, not just because of the OK Groomer thing, but I don't know if you guys know, I went to America Fest, um, Turning Point's a big thing right before oh, Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did the Tim cast episode. So I got Steve Bannon sitting next to me and Charlie Kirk is up there. So you know how how happy Media Matters, for example, is going to be about that set and setting already. And then I explained that, in my opinion, what we're dealing with is if you understand unconventional warfare, which I'm starting to learn about, I don't know a lot about unconventional warfare. I practice a martial art that's unconventional, so it kind of is intuitive to me. Um, but in unconventional warfare... And this is something that Antifa does a lot. This is something that we see kind of as the bread and butter of kind of this Marxist type provocation. There's something that's called mid-level violence. Mid-level violence is basically something where you don't go all the way over the top and you don't do nothing. So you're at the middle level um, with if you do it right, you set up a win-win for yourself. So uh, and the the classic example for like everybody that to get a feel for it for like little kids is I'm not touching you. I'm not touching Mm -hmm. you. I'm not touching you. So I didn't touch you. That would be a high level provocation. I'm not just saying things that would be a low level provocation. I'm putting my finger an inch from your eyeball and saying, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. That's a mid-level provocation or mid-level violence. Um, That's obviously not violent yet, but it's provocation. And so in unconventional warfare, a strategic maneuver is to do a mid-level provocation where if they don't react, you have, if, if your target doesn't react, you achieve some strategic aim by them folding, uh, cucking themselves, as some might say these days. And if they do react, you frame their reaction in a way that's productive to your agenda. Yeah, and they're so, terrorists. It's correct, they, they overreacted uh, and you frame it out to where that's the case. And so sitting on the stage at turning point with like 8,000 present in person, maybe a hundred plus thousand watching Tim cast live, Steve Bannon sitting next to me, which I just keep bringing up because it's funny. Um, (laughs) I said that the purposes are dual. The, the you fold there. So there's you fold and you overreact. Those are the two options that a mid-level provocation gives you. If you fold that drag queen story, hour paper tells you what it's for. They say that it's not about raising LGBT empathy. They say that in the paper. It is not. They say that's a marketing strategy for the program. They say it is about a preparatory introduction to alternate modes of kinship and living queerly. They tell you that. It's grooming. 
So if you don't react, if you don't stop Drag Queen Story Hour, then what's happening is they are doing, I literally think that this is actually forms of the ancient esoteric religion called Gnosticism. And I, it's queer Gnosticism. They're doing an initiation rite into queer theory with your children, using the drag queen as a prop, a generative object to get the children to ask, can boys dress as girls? Why not? Why shouldn't they? Whatever. What's it like to live this way? It is a, in their own words, preparatory introduction to wow. alternate modes of kinship and living queerly. They also say in the paper that Drag Queen Story Hour is deliberately, in their own word, a provocation, a mid-level provocation. So on stage, I said, if you fold, this is the direction. They groom your kids. It is sexual perversion, but not as much sexual perversion necessarily, not as much pedophilia necessarily as it is to induce children into the queer Gnostic cult, to think mm -hmm. that they can change their gender, to give them gender dysphoria, to give them mental disorders, to give them all of these kinds of identity crises, to make them activists. That's the purpose, primary purpose. Pedophilia is like icing on that nasty cake. <laughs> but if you react, and this is where Media Matters got so pissed off about this, that they wrote an article about it before we got off the stage. Holy shit. They got so pissed off because it was live, right? They got so pissed off that they put the, they put out an article before we even got off stage. I said it is a provocation, an escalating mid-level violence provocation to try to get some right-winger to overreact and have what I called a drag Floyd moment. You had George Floyd. Now you have drag Floyd, which is that they're going to provoke and provoke and provoke and provoke and provoke until somebody loses their shit, an act of violence occurs. You can tell they're setting the stage with the narratives. The narratives are already laying all the tracks for these arcs. Rising LGBT, anti-LGBTQ hate. That's a, that's a meme. It's everywhere. Go type it in. Million articles in the last month. Rising anti-LGBTQ hate. They need people to believe that there's a rising hatred against LGBTQ people. There's not. There's a rising hatred against people that are doing provocations and grooming, which is totally reasonable. And then the other one is that stochastic terrorism. Mm -hmm. Well, this, these people are stochastic terrorists. Libs of TikTok is a stochastic terrorist. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a stochastic terrorist. Lauren Boebert is a stochastic terrorist. Me, Jack Posobiec, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Stochastic terrorists. We're going to say this stuff. We're going to put this out until an act of violence occurs and we are responsible for it. No, no. They are seeding the field with provocation after provocation after provocation that escalates. At first, it's people dressed in kind of modest cross-dressing clown wear, reading stories to kids. Then it's dancing. Then the outfits get more risque. Then a kid's putting some stuff in a G-string from some dude. Then there's like twirling around, doing like all kinds of twerking. Sexual uh, actions are, are being simulated. People are wearing, you know, fake prosthetic breasts that are bare, et cetera. It, the provocation is going up and up and up and up. And so I said they're pro they're provoking to try to get a drag Floyd moment. They want to recreate the mayhem of summer 2020 with a queer martyr instead of a black martyr in this case. Mm -hmm. And Jesus man, Christ. Media Matters went berserk. LGBTQ nations went berserk. And it's been like an NBC News. It's like they're, they're pissed that I said this because I'm right. Um and then what they're saying is, of course, that I'm going down a victim blaming route. And this isn't this isn't actually true. I want to be real clear about this. I don't think that the average drag queen is inviting violence upon himself. Let me be real clear about or clear about that last word. <laughs> himself. Do not call them her. Do not call them she. Drag queens are men. They don't want violence upon themselves. The people making the program go want 
the violence to occur. That's why the iron law, we've, we've talked about the iron law of woke overreaction. We've talked tangentially without me mentioning it about the iron law of woke corruption. Look at all these pedo teachers and stuff. Iron law of woke corruption. Of course, this guy that Josie's telling about is all this creeper stuff and his iron law of woke corruption. And now we also have the iron law of woke projection. So they're laying out this narrative again and again and again of stochastic terrorism. Why? Just like Nancy Mace did to that weird Al Caraballo trans person, mm -hmm. uh, famously in Congress, busted this person. They're the ones trying to stoke up a stochastic terrorist event, if that word means anything. And so they have to project it onto the people exposing what's going on. That's what's actually going on. They, I am utterly convinced they want an act of violence. They said that I'm the one calling for violence, which is, again, obviously fake. I'm like, don't give them a drag Floyd moment. Yeah. Nobody You're saying it explicitly. <laughs> Literally, nobody be stupid enough to do this. Nobody give it to them. Make them manufacture it or not have it. Either they're not going to get it or they have to do... Um, you know, a bunch of like feds and khakis and sunglasses or something. Yeah, it's got to be like a total false flag. Don't give them one. Do not give them this excuse. And I keep saying this. I'm the one to saying no, strategically and morally, no violence. And then yep. they're like, James wants violence against trans people. Well, you can see. No, no, no. You guys want violence against not. They don't. It's not. I don't think that so much that they want violence is that they don't care if there's violence and they want a martyr. Right. Um, well, it just helps them. It helps their, their cause, clearly. Of course it, it does. It, it, it advances the ball 50 yeah. yards down the field. I'm oh, sorry, Josie. Say it again. Sorry. Once they get their, their whole, it doesn't, the hypocrisy doesn't matter. The murder doesn't matter. It all has to point in the same direction. As long as it gets them to their communist utopia, they'll do it. You know? And that's so, right. That, that's I mean, that's the, actually literally their their definition of truth and, and and good is that which advances the revolution is true and right. good, and that which doesn't isn't. Well, what what I was thinking about as you were describing this is, um, you know, the the slow boil of of gun laws too. Like a, as you take bump stocks, as you ban AR-15s, they're just waiting for someone to say that that has said fuck around and find out that has said come and take it that when they come and take it that they fight back and then all of a sudden you know the domestic violent extremist and the homegrown terrorists and all of these other laws the the domestic the domesticization of the uh war on terror and the patriot act all gets brought to bear fully uh full freight at home so that they, then they can go for like mass disarmament because now we have a real problem we have domestic violent extremists and blah 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 but it's like well right you motherfuckers were holding your finger right here and we were telling you stop and then you just pushed it one inch too far and i, I feel like it's the same dynamic it is that's it's the same dynamic it's always mid-level mid-level violence or mid-level provocation this is unconventional warfare and they're very good at it Damn. um <laughs> and the the fact of the matter is with like with drag floyd they have so many avenues they can take they obviously can go into the gun stuff if somebody shoots somebody or whatever. Of course. So that's, that's always a wide open door for them, but you can tell like, cause they always lay narrative arcs, right? And the goal is then to fit the event into the narrative arc that they already wrote the stories about in advance. Yeah. And I don't mean they wrote a story and they haven't published it. They tell you in advance, they write the stories. So there's rising anti LGBTQ hate, stochastic terrorism, blah, blah, blah. They're building out this huge narrative arc about how this works. And then the story plugs into that and validates the worldview. It becomes the miracle that proves that their mythology is true yeah. in some sense or an anti-miracle. That's the way that this works. So what are they writing that tells you what their targets are? 
well, yeah, they're writing articles about me and MTG and Lauren Bober and lives of TikTok and, you know, Jack Posobiec and Tim Pool. They, they do want us people who are speaking up like that to get shut down or censored, cool. censored or censured, depending on the situation. Sure. They want us to get investigated by the FBI to hassle us to find out. But every article, every single article about this, every single article about this so far has mentioned that this is only happening because Elon Musk took Twitter and let us all back on. So what they want is they want to use it for massive government censorship over social media. These the exact same pretext that they used to destroy Parler. Parler was apparently the hotbed of January 6th planning, which is horseshit. I think it was like 50 something messages total relevant to the the subject were on parlor at all right. and twitter and facebook of course had being scaled much larger so much more but they had to take parlor down so they attached it to the event of january 6th destroyed parlor because it was an alternative where they didn't have control over the narrative well elon buying twitter they only have it most partial control over the narrative through twitter right now it's obviously not all the way there mm -hmm. um and that's not good for them and so what are the all the articles are geared toward the same thing it's not just the stochastic terrorist, domestic terrorist, but rising anti-LGBT hate, you know, white nationalist or whatever the hell usual shit they're doing. They've tooled all the articles so that the narrative arc is Elon Musk created the conditions in which this could flourish by allowing a, a social media platform that's not in our control and therefore allows for these rising anti-LGBT hate, the stochastic terrorism. And so what you would see on the backside of a drag a drag Floyd moment is a gigantic inquiry from primarily probably House and Senate Democrats pushing that we need to have a gigantic social media inquiry into its role in producing domestic terror or stochastic terror. And thus we have to start putting all of our feds back more deeply, much more <laughs> openly the, exactly. into the social. Well, yeah, not even hidden, though, like very overtly. Right. There will have to be censorship teams to prevent stochastic terrorism and rising anti-LGBTQ hate. I don't know if you guys know that LGBTQ is is classified now as a, a super minority. They are way beyond. Like, sorry, black people, you're not that oh. special anymore. Um, you, it's like double double duty if it's LGBT. So they're really pushing hard. In, I should add the Q because the Q matters here. Um, they're really pushing hard into that. And that's what will happen. You will see committee after committee after committee on social media safety formed on the back of a drag Floyd incident, whether it's yeah. a false flag or whether it's a, an organic event that shouldn't have happened because people should have had more discipline. But I understand because the provocation, it's your kids, drives you nuts. So people ask me, well, what do you do as a response? I'm like, you protect your kids. And I hate to be this guy because I completely get it. I get the impulse. But on a certain level, you got to kind of be like, fuck other people's kids. I don't care. If well, some that, liberal wants to take the their kid to that, saying. you're just, well, you, yeah, puns, um, <laughs> puns and puns. But the truth is you have to not, they're like, well, other kids are getting screwed up. Talk to your neighbors and get them to protect their kids too. Keep it simple. Keep it local. Exactly. Do not go on a crusade to save a bunch of kids whose parents are participating in this provocation. Yeah, or uh, enabling free, this provocation. Yeah, free men die free. Says by libertarian standards, targeting children for such ideological subversion is a nap violation. Falls under coercion. They want a reaction, but a reaction would be justifiable under the nap. You're right. However, it's not prudent. It's not. Yeah, it, it's 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 not. Um, it is strategically a catastrophe. Exactly. I know that when we talk in strategic and and, and utilitarian 
modes, you know, it's people's morals get ruffled. And I understand that. And I sympathize with that, but we're in a war and like, I don't care how mad you are at the enemy. You're not going to go run a Leroy Jenkins blitzkrieg in the middle of the freaking thing. We have to have some troop discipline here or we're going to lose. Yes. And Um, that's super important. And if you care about the total number of kids in the long run that get protected from this, then you have to have discipline in the short run, which unfortunately creates, um, collateral damage as they might call it. And so what are the, you know, like minor attractive person, you got all these extra syllables. What is that? Minor attractive person means pedophile, but it's three words, seven syllables and a friggin' hyphen. Um, you can always tell when they're coming up with bullshit. I mean, that's George Carlin. I'm stealing this. So you can always okay. tell when they come up with some kind of, uh, you know, bullshit operative term when, when you add syllables, words, and hyphens to describe the same thing that everybody knows what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Hey, I, I know we're running out of time here. I wanted to ask you guys briefly about, uh, let me start with Josie. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's actually made this explicit. So let me make it explicit. I think that that what we've learned from the Twitter leaks, and the reason I'm bringing it up to you guys is because you both lost your accounts. Um, I don't think either of you, we don't have any evidence at least that you lost your accounts because of government direct interference. But I don't think anyone has extrapolated and made this point explicit. If you have the federal government, which is essentially dictating terms of service for quote unquote private businesses for their their speech protocols and their censorship decisions, uh, ultimately... You can't, I think at that point, you can extrapolate and say that the government's influence on that framework amounts to censorship broad-based that is a 1A violation and unconstitutional at its root. So I believe, personally, that both of you are victims of a constitutional violation on, on many levels from many departments from both establishments, including the GOP, uh, Josie, what do you think about that? Am I am I overstating it? And how does it make you feel if if you agree with my assessment that the government is essentially uh, no longer respecting your free speech? Yeah, I hate government. <laughs> so uh, this is a yeah. This 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 is it's definitely a violation. Like I said, you know, we can't prove what happened to me. I was taken. I was never warned. I was just. I was just gotten rid of. Um, I just couldn't log on one day and I couldn't log on for a year and a half. They randomly gave it to me, gave me my account back the day after Elon Musk said that he was buying Twitter, which was uh, April 26th. He said that I got my account back April 27th, along with That's a lot so of so weird, which makes me think they were covering their tracks as fast as they could. It was it seemed reactionary to me. I wasn't the only one who got my account back like t- tens of thousands of other people got their account back that week yeah I, I bet it was all the people with like the least uh you know foundation least evidence for the banning in the first yeah, place yeah i have no idea i have no idea what i said um it happened sometime in january i believe um but no idea what i said um so i i agree and uh, i'm interested i know uh james woods wants to because he was actually cited like you can like verbally in the twitter files james woods um, and he actually wants to to sue the government. Um, well, so yeah, I would hope he does. I know, and um, he he mentioned it, so I'm very interested to see where that goes. Um, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be watching that. Um, but with me, like I don't know, I don't even know if they have any evidence. So I, I don't know if they could go back and change evidence and say that I did something else. Like I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Well, um, that's the thing about about any sort of censorship is like, especially if you have a an, an ever evolving terms of service that allows you to to shift the goalpost constantly. It's like it's like 
eventually you're going to run afoul. So like if you if you were to parse every this is why I've had a, a auto tweet delete on my account for years where like after a month just everything <laughs> gets deleted because I know that under the upcoming terms of service something I said a year ago when it wasn't illegal uh, they'll get me for it and it's just it's oh god I hate I hate it I hate it so much um, James what do you think about that I I honestly believe that I'm I'm correct and I think it could be proven in, in court that that the terms of service are essentially being molded because of coercive power from the federal government from many institutions in order to structure what speech is allowed and that is fucking unconstitutional they said that about trump they 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 found a way to fit him into a ban yes or they did that with a million other people too so of course yeah, it's like with Josie. I don't know the specifics of my case. Um, I would, you know, I'm going to tweet this when we get a, get done with this here in a minute, or I might just do it in a second. I don't know. Um, you know, we got the Twitter files. I want to know about the groomer files. Like, what's the? Hey, Elon, are you watching? Like, drop the groomer files. Who got banned for groomer? Who got kicked out? Why did they get locked out? What were what was going on at Twitter about the word groomer? Because okay, groomer. I did not begin this trend. Apparently, as far as I know, I did, was original to like I thought of doing it like spontaneously. But it's not like it's this thing nobody could thought could have thought of. Sure. I've heard Radfems were saying it on forums for a while. I don't spend a lot of time reading Radfem forums, unfortunately. <laughs> I guess, but I didn't know that. I guess some other people, maybe even on like 4chan, had been saying it. You know, it's just a spinoff of OK Boomer. So obviously, other people would have thought of it. But I, I think I can take credit for popularizing OK Groomer because I did that. Um, I started that in September uh, 21. I did the first one. It was just some random account, and that's just how I smarted off to them. It wasn't even like a big account. It wasn't like something big. But then it turns out that I did a bunch of times, and I really popularized the term, and it really blew up, and it became a phenomenon. So in February, they changed the rule. That's kind of what you were talking about to ban the use of the word groomer, saying that it's an anti-LGBTQ slur, which saying that is an anti-LGBT slur, but that's true. Of course, the iron law woke projection never misses. Um, so they changed their, their rules in February. So from September to February, they had nothing on people doing it. February, they changed the rule. It apparently might have applied retroactively. I know they're a little, they were a little cautious about retroactive applications before very, very start dates. Cause they're not totally stupid. Um, but then what happened was I got banned August 4th. Um, and I only remember that actually because I had a, a scheduled l breakfast meeting with some local officials regarding Drag Queen Story Hour, which had just come to my town. And so I met with like on Monday or whatever. So I met with them on Friday. It was a Friday. And I was at that particular meeting when I got banned from Twitter. So I leave the meeting and my Twitter doesn't work. And I was like, well, shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> What had happened though was I had okay groomered people. Obviously, in in I didn't even know honestly that the rule had changed. I'd heard that it had changed, but I'd never seen anything. And of course, no one's going to read all those pages of terms of service, which is its own terms of service, you know, binding contract issue. Everybody knows nobody reads all that stuff. But at no point did I get an email that said, "Hey James, you use the word okay groomer a lot. That's not okay anymore," you know, or something like that. So I didn't know for sure. Then I got dumped out for twelve hours you know, end of July. And then, um, I get back in after my 12 hours, I delete the tweet because everybody's like, you shouldn't confess and get strikes against you. But I'm like, Twitter's not real. So I don't care sure. like about their fake strikes. And so, um, then I got, I get to this hotel, I was going to an event in DC 
and I show up in the hotel and I check in, I go upstairs, everything's fine. I'm playing on my phone in line. I get up to my room and I've been locked out of Twitter again on another okay groomer. I'm like, okay, writing's on the wall. It was a temporary ban. Delete the tweet and you're back in. It turns out if it's the same thing more than once, they don't 12 hour you most of the time again. Mm -hmm. And so I sat there and here I am. I'm supposed to go meet some people for drinks or whatever at the, you know, in DC. And instead I sit in my hotel room by myself, deleting every okay groomer tweet that I ever did <laughs> one by one, which took like three hours because there were like a thousand of them. And, um, <laughs> No shit. I even did it to Big Bird, which cracked me up so hard when I found it. I laughed and laughed and laughed. When Big Bird was promoting, that. he was promoting the vaccine. And so I said, okay, groomer. Um, but anyway, uh, a few days later, so a few days later, I went to the person who I'd been saying, okay, groomer to, they got me kicked out, which is Weird Al Caraballo. But also maybe it was Ari Drennan, one of these fucking Media Matters clowns. And um, which clown is a word. It's, it, 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 it's a, it's a polite term so that I don't say something rude, but we all know that I'm talking about trans people uh, <laughs> who are bullies with their transing. And there's a slang term for that, uh, that I won't use at the moment because YouTube Thank might you. get upset. But the, the point is I went back to this person and I said to, to weird Al Caraballo and I said, okay, child sexualization specialist. Oh, I remember. Yep. Yeah. And that was definitely not a rule. Right. There was definitely no, that was way too specific. I added syllables and words to, to you know, monkey down the language, to, to institutionalize the language. You were, you were okay. playing their game, actually. I know. That's why I got kicked off Twitter is because I beat a leftist at a word game, which is not allowed. Yeah. And yeah. so, but I got permanently banned with no warning and no suggestion that I had done something wrong for saying something that was a completely novel rule. I don't know if the government was involved in any of those decisions. And that's why we need a Twitter files on, on the groomer file drop need, needs to happen. Groomer right. files needs to come out. We need to know what kinds of decisions were made around the word groomer specifically. Um, as far but as it being in general and for many specific individuals, it may or may not be me a 1A violation. I don't even think that's a question. I think that this is actually, there's precedented cases where the government has acted as, has used a company to act as a proxy yep. to censor speech. And that's 100% a 1A violation. It's still the government acting to censor speech. Um, You're this right. Is not, I've had, I've had Judge Knapp on my show every Thursday or every week, and he's already explained it to me. I'm like, this is crystal clear. Fun fundamentally un-American, fundamentally unacceptable, fundamentally a thing that as these drops or whatever keep happening and hopefully we end up with something reasonable going on in, in in the house of representatives or something where these investigations can start taking place these things have to be investigated and accountability has to start happening the government cannot act this way we cannot have a unified public private sector that is absolutely prohibited in my opinion because when you have one what does it do it violates the first amendment because the government starts getting interested in speech maybe it starts shutting people's bank accounts off which is probably in some way a fourth amendment violation mm -hmm. um all of these kinds of things the, if it's happening at the government's behest anyway it's bad enough when a bank just decides it but if the government's pressuring the bank now we've got a Real 4a problem. question going on yes right and so um these are serious issues and serious accountability needs to come into play uh, I didn't mean to eat up a bunch of time telling the, the story of my banning from Twitter, but, um, I think it's hilarious, frankly. So it's fun to tell, <laughs> well, but the, the, the question you asked is, are, are people suffering one, a violations unambiguously? Does accountability need to happen for that? Yes. Unambiguously. Um, 
this country isn't this country if we're throwing out the Bill of Rights. And so that's 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 absolute. I mean, that's that's bedrock for what we're looking at right now. Well said. And uh, I don't know if you'll like this one or not, but I think that the the argument could be made, even if you can't prove that, like explicitly, uh, you know, DH- hit with a thunderstorm and everything's going to shut down. Oh, really? My dish blank. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Josie. Josie, go ahead and drop a plug, and I got one more thing to say, and then we'll we'll head out. Okay. Oh, uh, her connection's sorry. shot. What'd you say? Drop a plug. Yeah, I said drop a plug, but it's okay. If you got to head out, I'll 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 pull up your Twitter account. Everyone knows where to follow you. Just look in the description. I'll I'll add her Twitter account so you guys can go follow her. Uh, she's also working for Timcast, so make sure you support this lady. She's a genius. She's brilliant. She brings light to my life. Thank you for joining us, Josie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, James, I, I just want to run one more thing past you and then we'll head out. Uh, sure. I think that, well, you can't, there's no, probably there's not going to be any evidence. Probably. I mean, I hope that there is. It'd be fucking hysterical if you have like, I don't know who it would be, but uh, head of the Department of Education or something <laughs> like sending sending a, a note uh, to Twitter's uh, trust and safety saying, James Lindsay, you can't be saying groomer to all these school teachers. That'd be phenomenal. But Here's the argument, especially given your proclivity for the utilization of the word groomer, would be to say, look, well, they may not have explicitly banned me at the direction of the government. They groomed the terms of service to, to be prepared to deal with someone like that's me. Because that's that's really what that they did, though. That is true. Yeah. Because, I mean, once you, once you set up the... the you you reinforce you put these people in in positions of power and then you you over two many many years you're molding them as to like what is allowable and what's not and you're basically like reconfiguring their brains to be hyper woke and sensitive and ban and more aggressive with bands and shit like that like the government created this well gotta be uh, gotta hold them accountable for that the government has been obviously pressuring social media uh, heavily, which it has no business doing. It, the, the Twitter files have revealed that the government has been um, directly involved in, you know, zap this account, zap that account, tailor these messages, groom the terms of service, if you will. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Um, the same way that like your lawn groomer is grooming your sidewalk, you know, or whatever, uh, <laughs> groom the terms of service so that the kinds of things like whether it's groomers stuff, whether it's Hunter Biden laptop stuff, whatever it happens to whether it's COVID stuff, that only the correct narratives are being being put forth. Uh, I think that's incredibly important to bring to light and incredibly important to to uh, stop. The, the federal government and our state governments, as a matter of fact, should have no power over citizens of this this nation to do that. Um, and I, I, th- I don't think that um, I don't know what it'll look like if it's a class action against the government eventually or a class action no. against since it's a partnership against the, the company and the government. Now that Elon took over, do we sue Elon's company? I don't really know. Um, oh, that'd be weird, right? No, we should just sue that Yul Roth guy. Let's just sue him. Honestly, Personal. well, I, I I think that like he obviously should suffer, but more than that, it's got to be a lawsuit against the federal government. You have. I, to I mean, I think so. I think it has yeah. to be. I don't yeah. know if it turned. Like I said, I don't know if it's class action or if it's going to be like more individual actors who can can you know have evidence that they were uh, zapped or censored or or contoured 
based on on federal government request but that has to be answered it has to be answered yeah i mean we're just flatly not free until that is addressed i mean if you have big tech companies that are super woke on their own proclivities and and they want to do stupid shit like this well i guess we just have to create competition to deal with it but that's not what we're facing we are facing a government who is dictating uh terms of service and ultimately what we're allowed to say and that ladies and gentlemen is un-american as a motherfucker uh That's let's right. get out of here let's get out of here with this uh kkk uh says uh I, I said one too many k's i apologize james why why they are putting hard dates on their plan makes no sense he's i think he's referring to agenda 2030 I, yeah i'm i have some answers and i kind of don't know uh honestly um i do know that they you know have committed to a lot of things i know that they have a timeline um it seems like a stupid move strategically uh, but when you have a schedule, you know, it keeps people more accountable. So there are those kind of simple arguments. There is a really weird argument that I don't know if people are going to believe that I know is partially the cause, uh, which <clears throat> is so wackadoodle that I'm almost shy to say it. But some of the people, and I'm not talking about Klaus Schwab here. Um, I'm talking about uh, Ronnie Chan and uh, James Riotti, who mm. uh, Ronnie Chan is the he's a ccp guy and chinese businessman in as far as i under i don't know exactly what chan does but i think he's i know he was integral in bringing four and 5g technology to china um, mm-hmm. but he is a very rich man the harvard th chan school of public health is named after ronnie chan's father uh, because ronnie chan gave them the half bill to um to build it um to, he, he basically bought in 2014 the Harvard School of Public Health. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronnie Chan is a uh, he's, he's a Chinese operative, and uh, James Riotti is one of the heads of the Lippo Group, which if you look at a lot of World Economic Forum documents, you find that the Lippo Group is all tied up in this. Um, these guys are, I think, not in the same one, but there are a set of weird christian eschatological cults in other words end time cults that have calculated that the return of jesus is in 2030 and therefore the tribulation has to be triggered uh yeah they're in there they're under they're not directly with but they're in an offshoot splinter group off of what was called the watchman knee group uh n-e-e watchman knee um, was kind of a parent organization and it splintered off it's called living stream ministries as one of these things and they actually believe that it is their their theology or their crackpot theology is such that they that the tribulation has to be triggered so that the will last seven years and so that jesus will properly return you know as he should in 2030 so it's an there is an end times cult that's actually got billions of dollars being dumped into this and that partly contours why they have hard dates because some of the people that are pushing it are nut job religious lunatics who have calculated the end of the world (laughs) which also means that 2023 which is the year we now occupy uh, is seven years out from 2030 and is therefore the year by which uh, during which the rapture is supposed to take place so the tribulation can wow. begin in last seven years i don't know what that's going to entail i don't know how how because it's not all of them i don't know how serious that will be entertained they already moved the date from 21 to 30 so there was some how hard their dates are they they are willing to admit some flexibility but i know they have a whole timeline that lay, lays out like stuff's supposed to happen by 2030 by 2040 by 2045 by 2050 um 
and they've got a schedule. The trains have got to run on time. Yeah. And, but I don't know why they're so rigid about it. I know that they've invested a tremendous amount of marketing into it. And if you miss your marks, there might be some other like fucking numerological reason that I don't know about. These guys are under some weird stuff. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence, for example, that there are 17 sustainable development goals and 169, which is 13 squared targets. I think that that is actually intentional because these people are numerologists, but I don't know enough of the numerology to know what those numbers represent. I don't think that that's, I don't think it's coincidental. I don't think it's um, uh, something that just happened. Uh, So they're strange people, in other words. They have strange beliefs about the world and how it works. They're very invested in symbology. They're very invested um, sometimes in eschatological or end times predictions and beliefs. Uh, And I think that those things actually do inform many of the decisions that they make much more profoundly than the average citizen believes, although I don't know enough to lay hard claims about that or that they will stick to those with, you know, absolute religious, uh, you know, rigidity or anything. Sure. Well, let, let me give a uh, technical and economic backdrop to probably just supplement, not replace uh, that that theory as to the timeline. I think that tactically you need you have a bunch of disparate groups that, as we've talked about, like they they kind of work in tandem, but they're kind of competitors at the same time. I think that you have to have a narrative that they can all strive towards. So you have to have a timeline so that these disparate organizations that don't explicitly you know coordinate. Uh, can work in that direction. And then secondarily, I think that they they realize, the central bankers realize um, that we're facing a, a global fiat reset uh, or a hyperinflationary period if they don't. Um, and then also, I think that the, the central bank digital currency versus a decentralized uh, currency, uh, digital currency would, like, I think that they realize that they have a narrow window of opportunity where, like, they'll have this technocratic panopticon or we will go complete liberation mode on their asses and like they can't have that so if you right. realize that that clock's ticking well you better set a date right i mean that's yeah, yeah. I, I actually agree with that they probably did some pretty robust calculations on when um the fiat debt crisis is going to implode Bingo. and they probably did some pretty hard calculations on uh you know what how technology is going to develop in order to enable some of these pieces to come into play and they probably picked 2030 accordingly mm-hmm. um that you know the economy is going to implode and rip off 99.9% of the world by such and such date and we can basically string it out until such and such time whether that's 2027 or whatever i don't know making up numbers i'm not saying i know anything here uh we can string it out to this point but technology will enable us whether it's through you know 5 and 6g capacity with with uh you know cell signal whether it's through um processing speed whether it's through uh you know the development of of higher tech drones or whatever other devices that they need quantum computing whatever quantum computing things that attach to the body you know digital currency being you know something they can deploy at scale they've done calculations on the technology i would guarantee you to suggest what years those things will be viable and they've done calculations as to when their their fraud finally can't be kicked down the road any further exactly and they probably chose 2030 outside of the religious cults 
which aren't, I didn't make that up. That's real. Like that's too freaking weird for me to have made up. <laughs> uh, I don't know how influential that is. I may be very not influential. It may be very significant. I have well, no and idea. it could be very influential for certain players. And then the other ones are doing it from a more, Right, you know, exactly. And the, but they probably have calculated out certain things are likely to happen uh, with high certainty within certain years in this decade, so that 2030 becomes the year where, uh, as 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 they used to say on on the A team, I love it when a plan comes together. Right, right. Well, uh, James, I know we weren't supposed to go as long as we did. I really appreciate your time, man. These are uh, some some of my favorite conversations. Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you, support your work, everything else. Yeah, well, I'm still on Twitter. I'm no longer, I'm permanently not on Facebook. I got kicked off Facebook a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> by the way, for that. life. I made a meme um, saying that, I don't know if you remember the comedian from the 80s that did Soviet jokes, Yakov Smirnoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he always just turned things around and it's like, you know, he come out and his stupid shtick was like, you know, in, 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 in capitalist America, you know, Pilot flies plane in Soviet Russia. Plane flies pilot. It's just <laughs> yes, yes, it's yes. always a, that's a dumb example, but he always just reversed <laughs> this, you know, just put the words backwards. And so my buddy made me a meme and I put it out of Yakov Smirnov. Uh, and it says in socialist Canada, suicide hotline calls you. And I permanently banned for life from Facebook for that one. Um, everywhere else, I'm still on social media at conceptual James. Yes. Uh, my YouTube channel is new discourses. My company has presence on social media. Also it's at new discourses. Um, so you can find me in those places. I'll hold up this sweet, sweet object that came in the mail for me today. This is my new book, Beautiful. the Marxification of education. You can go to marxification.com and it will take you, it'll redirect where you can buy it. Oh, and, nice. um, this outlines Paulo Ferreri. It talks about drag queen story hour and its purposes. It talks about critical education, obviously the Marxification of education, literally how they have rearranged education to steal it from our kids and our from society and from our society so that you can see how the magic trick works and we can fight back against social emotional learning. Global citizenship education is rooted on this, et cetera. So that just came out December 6th. It's still pretty new, one month old. Um, go pick it up. Absolutely. If you're a, especially a parent or a teacher that's you know, looking at this stuff. So that's everything I think I got. The website's newdiscourses.com. You can go there uh, and see my podcast or read my articles or whatever you need. Yeah, buy buy 10 copies of that book and go give it to your fucking, uh, <laughs> your teacher's union reps. Like, just give it to everybody. Everybody that is actually in charge of education, make sure that they are at least given the opportunity to correct the, uh, the evil path that they're on. Um, James, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I will be on uh, Timcast January 17th. So everybody, make sure you you watch live, support in the chat. Let let them know that I have some some fans that, that'll uh, make it worth their time. And uh, last but not least, make sure you leave a comment, subscribe, and uh, hit that like button. We love you guys. We're out. <music>
liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweet from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus you're scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane You're probably wondering What's happening Scared Hollywood Lefties lyrical feffing A typo with Luke Might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit Didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot But now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Monster ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe